You are listening to the Enormo Cast. The truth is that climbers live their lives off the rocks in approach shoes. Part comfort, part performance, part signaling to that lady across from you on the bus that you and the crazy free solo guy are essentially cut from the same cloth. That's right, lady on your way to Target. Don't you know I'm loco? That's why Sportiva has invented the most versatile approach shoe yet, the TX Guide. Sprinkling in DNA from their acclaimed running shoes, brilliant climbing shoes, and the legendary TX line, the TX Guide for women and men can run to the climb, climb the climb, bash down the climb, all in time to climb into your stool on the patio of your local brew pub. So if you want to walk both streets and trails like a golden climbing deity, check out all of Sportiva's approach shoes at sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. Well, howdy, buckaroos. It's springtime, and them foals are kicking, and the sun's coming up earlier and earlier, which only means one thing. Your dawn patrol's going to have to start earlier, too. Let's face it, the only thing better than first tracks is first gram. That's right. Your sick shit should be the first thing them losers have stayed up all night binge-watching Tiger King see in their feed, right as that first sip of joe from a to-go cup dribbles inevitably down their chins. Damn, they'll think. Sending V3 at 4 a.m., that is sick. Well, Black Diamond has everything you need for a proper Dawn Patrol mission. Headlamps to light the hallway as you sneak out. The perfect layering system to peel when you start to get as moist as a newborn lamb. They got ski gear for skiers who aren't over it yet. And climbing gear for overstoked climbers like us. And even bouldering pads. Because truth is, morning Mountain Dew sounds great if you want to punch your hand through a car window, but it sucks ass for actual pebble wrestling. So let Black Diamond sport your morning mania and that inevitable drop in productivity by 1pm, because they literally make every damn thing a climber needs, except the caffeine. Wake up and head over to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop for all the gear you need on your next dawn patrol. And you know, Black Diamond loves this damn podcast. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. You really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is April 30th, 
about 9.30 in the morning here in Colorado, and this is episode 218.5 of the Enormacast. This is actually a little bit of a bonus episode. Bonus for who? Well, I don't have a Patreon that gets bonuses, so everyone gets this bonus. Good for you. Free bonuses along with all the other bonus podcasts that you get. 218 bonus podcasts plus this one. Anyhow, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So what this is is a rebroadcast of a conversation that I had with Stephen Dimmitt over at his podcast, The Nugget. And Stephen has been doing The Nugget for, I don't know, maybe maybe not quite two years, uh, but he's been doing The Nugget podcast and had me on, and he suggested to me that maybe we rebroadcast it now that it's gone through his feed for a while over here at the Enormacast, because it's a uh, interview with me where we actually talk about my climbing, not just about the podcast, which I think most of the previous interviews has been a lot about the podcast. We do talk a little bit about it, but um, we talk a lot about the climbing. And I think that, uh, you know, as much as I talk about myself on this podcast, I think it's a little vague, a lot of the climbing that I've done. And we only get to a little brief part of it, actually, in the the lengthy interview here. So this is only going to stay on the top of the feed for a few days. And then I have a new episode ready to go, which I'll post in just a couple days. So you can hold out for that one if you've already heard this. It's Stephen Dimmitt interviewing myself, originally on his podcast, The Nugget, which you should check out. Similar format to mine, which is, of course, a similar format to thousands that came before and after. The interview podcast is not some sort of crazy innovation in any any way, shape, or form. But uh, his is a little more journalistic. So if you get annoyed with me winging it all the time, Stephen might be your man over there, The Nugget. You know, he actually prepares questions and things. Amazing. Of course, you can find The Nugget anywhere you find podcasts. It probably pops up on your suggestions if you listen to this one. And uh, he's got actually a lot of coverage that I don't have. Um, He's a little bit better, I think, about finding the less well-known people to talk to, if you like that kind of thing. And there's also some crossover. So if you're interested in one of mine, then you can find out what his line of questioning was of that same person. Just having a glance, Ethan Prignall's over there, Peter Croft's over there. And he's also scooped a few. Like, I've never talked to Alan Watts up there in, uh, in Bend, Oregon which is someone I've always wanted to talk to. So the nugget, wherever you find your podcasts. Anyhow, bonus episode here in the feed for a few days. Check it out if you didn't hear it over at the nugget. Or hell, listen again. How are you holding up today, man? Oh, you mean the election hangover? Yeah. We're talking on November 4th right yeah. now, and America's holding its breath. Um, I am 
I'm okay. I was like a pretty, I had like pretty good avoidant behavior yesterday. Um, yeah. I went to the hot springs with my kid till about eight, you know, came home and checked in. And then, um, yeah, the landslide thing that like my little stupid bubble kind of was, cause I, you know, you, you tailor your social media around your beliefs. Sure. And there was this idea that like, yes, they, the country's finally woken up to like, and that I was not actually that hoodwinked by that. I, mm. I figured it was the skate, the squeak it and the lawsuits and the whole thing. And mm. is that's what at this hour, it's what one o'clock on November 4th or so. Yeah. It, it's looking to be that yeah. actually at this moment, uh -huh. the, the, the late counts are coming in and there's going to be a squeaker and then, um, then it's gonna go haywire. So <laughs> all hell's gonna break loose. But I, you know, I'm I'm not worried about like gun running, gun battles or anything. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's good. So yeah, I feel okay. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for sitting down, man. <laughs> yeah. I was at Bonfire Coffee this morning, and I I camped at the community center in my van last night. I was walking down the street this morning, and I, I passed Bonfire. I was like, why do I recognize the name? And then your voice popped into my head. And I was like, oh, charter sponsor, yep. Bonfire Coffee, support yep. the Normal Cast. So that's super fun. I'm a huge Normal Cast fan. I've listened to probably 90 plus of your first 100 episodes. Cool. But what's interesting is I don't have a good grasp of your climbing history. I thought it'd be fun to kind of start with, with that. You know, you've, in your podcast, you have alluded to different chapters, different ascents, things like that. But like the free rider, for example, for the, the free rider, for example, <laughs> you've mentioned it a few times. Yeah, it's a running joke. But I'm like, did he do it? Like, I don't know the story. Right, yet, right, so. right. Yeah, actually, um, I appreciate the I appreciate that angle, because I think as much as, you know, I'm accused of talking about myself in the podcast, um, a, a completely valid accusation. I don't sit there and like go through my history that much. It, yeah, it's dropped in. When the other person, you know, we have a relatable content in, in terms of like climbing in Cochimo or something like that. But um, yeah, I don't think it's that out there really. So Right. Yeah. So you're born in Green Bay, mm -hmm. raised in a suburb of Chicago. Yeah. So how does a Midwesterner from the suburbs of Chicago first become interested in climbing? Uh, the same way so many of my cohort generation did, I saw... Uh, an article or a book. Um, pretty sure, you know, the first thing that I remember is seeing an article in uh, Outside Magazine, and I was like a, I was like a little bit of an out, fish out of water kid. I was like really into backpacking and things like that, even though I lived in the suburbs. But we'd, you know, go to these little places in Wisconsin that mm. seemed really adventurous, or to the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. So I had this outdoor thing. Um, my family were definitely hunt hunters and anglers and stuff but i had this kind of different angle to it but um yeah an article in, on uh on john backer at okay. some point in outside magazine and this wouldn't have been contemporary to when john was like a stone master but it was the 80s so he was still you know the climbing rock star yeah and uh the blonde surfer dude you know tiny shorts and the whole thing so yeah. that would have been the first one of course in my mind it was john bacar because, you know, <laughs> that's what it looked like. Uh -huh. So that was the first image I had. And then I did this weird thing where I knew I was going to go west to college because if you're a backpacker or whatever, you're like the mountains, you know. And um, so I decided I would do that. But then I decided I would become a rock climber. And so I actually trained in high school 
uh, not climbing on a wall or anything because they didn't exist, but just weightlifting and stuff. Yeah. But, but I told my coach, I didn't have a coach, but the, the, the class was just a class. The guy ran at the coach, um, on my, like, he, you fill out the sheet where you, uh, your goals. Yeah. And I wrote that on there that I'm going to become a rock climber in high school, in high school in, in Libertyville, Illinois in class. 1987. <laughs> and he actually, you know, I thought he was like this meathead football coach guy. And I was, I was also like this rock and roller. So I, you know, definitely diverted from the sort of sports thing, but, uh, I thought he would think it was dumb, but he actually pulled me aside and he's like, you know what? I've, I did a Knowles, uh, instructor's mm. course because hmm. he wanted to start an outdoor program at our school. But in the eighties, it was just the liability thing was they hadn't sorted it out and they said no, but he took a Knowles instructor's course and he's like, I went rock climbing, but I wasn't very good at it. Cause I'm too big. And he was, he was a big football kind of guy. Mm. He's like, I'm too big, but he's like, you're built for it. I think. And mm. I don't know too much about it, but here's what I think you should do. Like, okay. You know, don't try to gain muscle, but gain strength. So he put me on a literally program. That's or we at least chatted about like, well, these are the kind of things you should try to do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, for two years, I I like sort of had this little mini training program, (laughs) and then I went climbing the very first day I went to college, and that was like the end of it. Yeah, so that's blowing my mind because you're such. I have you in my mind as like such an OG kind of trad style rock climber. You know, like it seems like. It, just in the last year or two, you've kind of explored training. Right. But for most of your climbing, you've just prioritized the adventure, being outside, the the raw experience. So it's really funny that you started with training. Yeah, but I mean, don't relate it to training now. Like, <laughs> sure, it was in no way like climbing specific training. Do you remember was, what you did? I mean, it was just again, it was what what is strength like um, low rep kind of mm-hmm. you know type training versus like trying to gain muscle because it's sure. it's high school and so everybody else in the class are dudes yoked. that want to get yoked and like <laughs> be able to walk around in their ripped t-shirt you know yeah which i didn't mind but it, it's funny because um it didn't matter because i only got more like skinny and ripped because <laughs> no, it's my metabolism uh-huh. like i'm not gonna like get so I just like got more ripped, which yeah. was cool too. Yeah. But it turned out, I mean, when I started rock climbing, and this is also a story I hear a lot, is that of course if you're if you feel like you were good at it the first time, that's a big draw. Mm. And I definitely like felt strong and felt good, and mm. like uh, it it clearly. I mean, it may just been that I was just generally fit, because um, but it it seemed to help. Yeah. You know, for sure. Because yeah. I just remember feeling like, oh, I can do this. I can hold on to these things. And, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, or whatever it was that we top roped the first time. What was your first day of rock climbing? It was up at Horsetooth Reservoir in Fort Collins. Okay. I went to Colorado State. Okay. And um, that's really known for its bouldering. But there's, you know, 50, 60, 70 foot top rope walls mm. as well. And we just, you know, I joined this floor at the... At the um, CSU, the outdoor adventure floor. So it was like a co-op floor where everybody kind of signed up. There was all sorts of them skiing and biking and stuff and the outdoor adventure floor. And so the very first, second day, whatever, before school even started, the RA, the guy that ran the floor came by and he's like, hey, we're going top roping up at Horsetooth. Do you want to go? And I was like, I don't know what that is. (laughs) He's like, oh, it's rock climbing. I'm like, yeah, this is it. You know, like here I am. Yeah, so... You know, it would have happened either way, but it just, you know, it all 
kind of came together on that outdoor adventure floor. Yeah. Yeah. And so tennis shoes or what were you? Well, no, they gave me shoes. Okay. You know, he's like, yeah, we got harnesses and shoes. Cause it was kind of the nature of the, of the floor. Like he was supposed to facilitate these things. So, okay. um, the funny thing about the floor is it completely backfired in that, like <laughs> at the semester, most of the kids didn't actually outdoor adventure that much. They mostly smoked weed and, and hung out like college kids do. But sure. there was a pretty core group that uh, was getting after it. And like basically at semester, like, you know, half the floor was failing. And like, uh, not me, I was holding up my end. There was an ultimatum from my dad. So, um, but yeah, everybody, he, the the guy, this guy, Pat Rastel, anybody from CSU will remember that name. He ran like a lot of the outdoor stuff, the Pingree Park campus and stuff. But he uh, got us all together and he's like, you guys, like this is making us really look bad. Like, mm. You need to go to class. Because mm. that's what happened is horse tooth a bike ride away. You know? mm-hmm. And then also he's like, you guys have a per capita like emergency room visits that are like off the <laughs> charts too. So it's like, yeah. So it, it's funny. They oh, actually man. stopped doing it a couple years later. They might've started again, but um, yeah, it was, but it was fun. And there was like... Uh, Jonathan Thiesinga, who used to be, you know, work at Black Diamond, uh, was an athlete manager and stuff there, was on the floor. And um, this guy, Lenzani, that works for Honey Stinger. So there's some some guys that came off that floor that got into, like, outdoor industries. So, yeah. Yeah. You were studying English? English, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. How did that lead into Colorado Mountain School guiding, that sort of stuff? Um, I just, yeah, uh, when I graduated, I applied. Okay. You know, I just... I don't know that, why. I have the... no recollection of how that occurred to me. But okay. Yeah, I just applied and they hired me. So I went straight from, yeah, Colorado State in 93. That's when I graduated. And then that summer went straight up to Estes and started guiding at, at Colorado Mountain School. Okay. Yeah. And that's what back in the day, dude, that like everybody's like, well, how, you know, I've been climbing. I've been climbing four years, um, but a lot. But uh, there was no training. Like okay. you didn't go to the, the AMG, for the guide school. Yeah, you, well, the guide school had training their own, but I'm saying that there was no certifications. Okay, the AMG actually didn't even exist at that point. <laughs> yeah. um, they came into being while I was guiding. Okay, um, and uh, was for a lot of years rejected by most guide schools as being like, we do our own training. Like we don't need to pay you to train our guides. And so they had a, a while for them to get traction. But anyway, so yeah, I just went up there and like told them what I'd climbed and they were like, okay, you know how to tie figure eight and stuff. Like you can be a guide, but <laughs> keep in mind that, you know, that year was a lot of groups, you know, top roping with groups. Okay. And, I was going to ask that. Yeah. What's kind of stuff were you doing? Were you taking any clients up the diamond or anything? No. Like that? And that actually, and I guided, I want to say like six or seven seasons over like 10 years. Okay. I was gone a, for a while. I never got to the diamond. Um, back then like you just didn't get that kind of client and if mm. you did it was like a return client that one of the more senior guides like Topher Donahue it was his dad's guide school when I started okay so he was like kind of a hot even though as young young as I was he was sort of a hot shot guide Kenan Harvey uh, another guy um that names kind of like disappeared but he's really an amazing climber and influential climber and he was a guide there so those guys were dealing with that stuff but mm. i mean i eventually you know guy in the petit grapon was no was pr- really common hallets when northcutt carter was still there th- before it fell down and um so big mountain guiding and then a lot of days on lumpy ridge okay but the early days it was groups 
you yeah. know, going top roping, like we'd facilitate climbing for a local summer camp, you know, just cause they insurance wise, they, they would have us come in and do the climbing section. So yeah, you know, a bunch of kids top roping for the day, kind of guiding, Okay, you know, in an occasional, you know, maybe I'd guide like a three pitch five, seven or something on Lumpy Ridge or whatever okay. in the early times. Yeah. Kids like you that didn't end up on the the floor. Yeah. Right. Basically. <laughs> Interesting. What was the next chapter of your own climbing? I mean, eventually you ended up in the valley for a while. As far as your career goes, you ended uh-huh. up being an English teacher. Yeah. Was there a chapter where you were traveling, dirtbagging? Just- yeah. So I graduated in 93. And then I want to say I guided three summers. And then in the off season, generally climbing a lot. Or um, I worked at Alta Ski Resort uh, one summer. But that's when I was just like out climbing a lot. And that's when I really discovered Indian Creek. I'd mm. been there um, as early as 91, but that was, a, you know, and that was when you started going there. I went to Australia hmm. on a big, um, that was like my big first international trip, which was like still sort of influential on its, on huh. my thinking about climbing. I was just, it was so much fun. And um, what'd you do? Just flew there and then, you know, went climbing and like it was pre-internet. So... You just basically, yeah, you got some information from books like Neptune or Boulder Mountaineer at the time. Um, they had like sections of guidebooks and you just sort of figured out what was going on with looking at old magazines. And then I flew in and literally like went to a climbing shop in Sydney and mm. then said, where should I go climbing? And they said, uh, go up to the Blue Mountains. Well, I mm. knew the Blue Mountains were there, but I'm like, which cliff? And they're like you know, go to this place called Piddington. Like there'll Hmm. be, I was like, where will there be other climbers? Okay. You know, which is a weird question now, but in the back in the day, you could go to the cliffs and have nobody around. So like, yeah, just get off the train, hike down the street. Cause all the little (laughs) towns are on top of the cliffs there. Okay. And then you'll go out this trail and that's where Piddington is. And you'll, anybody who climbs in Australia know what I'm talking about. The cool thing about it is it taught me about the community because the very first day, and I just walked the base of the cliff, and people were climbing. I'm like, hey, what's up? And I met this guy named Pete Lowe, another Lowe, but no relation to any of the other Lowe's. Um, <laughs> he'd climbed in the States and was a crack climber. And crack climber climbing in Australia, just like a lot of places, it's a little few and far between, but he was like stoked. And this Piddington cliff has these awesome, like 510 cracks, like perfect mm. cracks. So he was stoked. And we, we climbed over the next few days, he would come back and I was just sleeping at the crag. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, at the end of one week, he was like, listen, man, I got this, uh, well, man, mate, sorry. Listen, mate, I've got this offer. You're not gonna be able to refuse. I'm like, what is it? He's like, well, me and, uh, God, I can't remember his wife's name, but we work in Sydney in the, in the week and our house appears empty. And he's like, you can stay in it. Wow. And the climbers live next door. Wow. And so I went and he's like, I'll tell him you're over here. So those guys showed up one night and they were literally going to go out to a club and dance, and which was a little bit awkward for me but at the time. But um, yeah, and it was actually this dude showed up at the door who I'd actually met in Boulder. Oh, no um, way. Yeah, he was road tripping in Colorado and I'd met, and like he opened the door and we're like, you know, it was like that, <laughs> that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. We're like... <laughs> This guy named Christian Mortensen, Muzz, and uh, and then that was, you know, pretty much, I was off and running in like three or four days after being in Australia. Wow. And when I moved out of Pete's, they were like, come and live at our house. 
so I slept under their little climbing wall for like a month and a half. And, <laughs> and then I went to Arapolis and sort of the same shit happened. You just walk Crazy. in. Yeah. But it was just like, aside from the climbing, it was just like, you can do this mm. and this is your community and these are your people and mm. they're the same as they are in the United States. They just talk funny, but their <laughs> motivations are the same and it's going to be like every day is going to be more fun than you had the day before again mm. and again and again and again and again. Mm. And it was just like this incredible realization of what probably my life was going to be like. Because I was just like, this is fucking amazing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, every morning I'm waking up and having more fun. How old were you at this point? Uh, 23 or 24. Okay. You know? Yeah. Because I graduated in four years. Okay. So, yeah. And it was right after that. It was one, one or two years after that. So, yeah, prime of life, prime of climbing. I didn't have a girlfriend. Yeah. You know, I didn't have anything going on. And it was, a, again, like the perspective is lost, but like you were gone. You called home once in a while you had to buy like a card and like put the code into the phone and shit or you called um can i swear yeah okay um you called uh collect or whatever and you sent postcards there's nothing no other way to connect with it was really cool yeah yeah you know so anyway that that was right then and then there was some years of climbing the other thing that we missed is that for when I was at CSU is that I got really into the history of climbing. Okay. Which probably some ways led me to the Enormacast, you know, in a long roundabout way. But I got super into it. I saw this slideshow um, at the Mountain Shop, again, like signaling out to old Fort Collins people. It was Katie Cassidy and Earl Wiggins, two legendary desert climbers, Earl Wiggins, Black Canyon climber as well on a slideshow tour to promote their book um desert desert country climbs desert i can't remember but a coffee table book okay really famous as well um like the first time the world in general had been presented indian creek cracks mm. towers mm. you know the titan was in there and castleton and like again no internet you can't look this shit up mm -hmm. you had to look in books and so this we went to that like a f couple few weeks after i i was um there on that floor, right? Okay. And it was a the again the RA came around like this slideshow's happening. We, you know, as many of us should go. We should just go. And so we all went and they just kept saying, like, latent core, latent core, latent core, climb this. And here's an old core root and you know, the finger of fate on the Titan and core angles on the Castleton and and a few others, right? And that was like, man, when who's this guy? First of all, this his name is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And then I get back to the dorms. And my buddy's like, oh, here, check this out. And he gives me, um, this is going to blow your levels, but it's an old Enorma cast joke. He's, he gave me, climb! <laughs> <laughs> Which is the history of Colorado climbing up till 1978. And it's got an exclamation point on it. Um, and I read that cover to cover. And that was like, when I was like, holy shit, all these hmm. guys are amazing. Of course, it's funny because this was 1990 or 1989. So it was a full 12 years after the book had been published. And yet that set me on this path to almost like we, we and some of the guys in the dorm, like we idolized these guys. Yeah. And so we were like, well, what is aid climbing? You kind of went back in time. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. And we idolized, you know, it's like wool knickers and, the, and like <laughs> painter's pants and headbands and long hair and like 
that's i mean i had super long hair no way to believe yeah and so we idolized that so that got me into aid climbing Hmm. and so that actually because a little like mini version of me was a big fisher towers climber okay so i climbed in the fisher towers quite a bit um did a you know relatively early ascent of the finger fate Charlie Fowler thought we probably did like the 11th or 12th ascent of it. What's that one? On uh, the Titan. It's okay. like an A3 big mud route, you know, okay. classic <laughs> thing. So, so yeah. So, meanwhile, I mean, I was free climbing too, but that was like, I had like this foot in both worlds. That's so interesting. Yeah. I had it in my head that you had discovered mountain climbing and then it was, you know, get to the top of the mountain by any means right. and then free climbing came later. So Well, it's cool that so the other thing is I was, because of that, I was of the... Um, the mind that you, you know, if you were a climber, that you climbed mountains as well. So mm-hmm. I, I had a career in, um, or not a career, but I had, I, I followed ice. I was an ice climber for a long time. Okay. Um, and then the other thing I'd actually, I just missed, this is how this show's going to go. But <laughs> in 1991, I did a, an exchange to New Zealand. Okay. And I climbed for that. I went and climbed in the Southern Alps for, I mean, I was there at school, but. We were in Christchurch, so just okay. super close to Arthur's Pass and then Mount Cook and all that stuff. So, And I was there about almost a year and climbed Mount Cook and Aspiring and all these other peaks, which are low in altitude, mm-hmm. but they're big mountain feel. That's why the like, you know, Hillary train there and all that. Okay. Because you have to deal with big mountain things like Seracs and glaciers and stuff but you know it's like thirteen thousand feet mm-hmm. and really bad weather oh interesting so that was i was like i'm gonna be a mountaineer i'm gonna be a mountaineer you know yeah and i did all the stuff you know like, did you like it uh i think at the time i did yeah. okay yeah so but then to the next chapter and you asked about going to la um when i came back i was guiding again under different management at the mountain school and uh some point met this woman, Rebecca Rush. This has been on the show. And then went out to LA because she lived in LA and ran a climbing gym. Okay. And then went out to date her and also to work in the climbing gym. Okay. And that's then I was in Southern California living in LA, yeah. or Orange County first and then LA. And that's when I started going to the valley. It's the Yosemite chapter. Yeah, the Yosemite chapter. Gotcha. And so, yeah, so I went out there for a lady. And then once I was in Southern California, that's when I really started to rock climb and kind of forget about ice and okay. uh, climbing big mountains. And then there's the story of me passing out on lead ice climbing, which has been on the Enorma Cast. <laughs> so I had a few series of ice climbing mishaps that I wasn't too Jesus. stoked on. And I just kind of like another partner got injured another time. I passed out leading literally when on an ice climb. Didn't fall, but. Definitely. What, do you just, know what episode that's in? It's probably in the Aaron Mulkey episode, okay. which is probably in middle hundreds. I don't know. Somewhere <laughs> okay. in there, but yeah. okay, I'll go find it. Yeah, I think it's in there because I think like it was a fun confessional to him in terms of like because um, he's that's he's almost a pure ice climber. Oh, okay. Kind of things. So yeah. So anyway, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I kind of like lost my mojo a bit for the cold stuff. My gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I started skiing. Oh, interesting. Um, right, right after that. And so skiing kind of like took over winter pursuits. Gotcha. Um, like, oh, this is type one. Yeah. 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 So, and the, if anybody like tries to figure out whether I'm chrono- chronologically saying all this correctly, I'm not. <laughs> so, 
It was a long time ago. <laughs> so you went pretty deep. You ended up going pretty deep with your aid climbing in Yosemite. Were you free climbing in Yosemite at the same time or were you fully focused on aid for a while? It's funny. I I was, but definitely not as much. Okay. And the other thing about my Yosemite career is that I never lived there or like posted up there for like the whole summer kind of thing like people do. Okay. I was living in Southern California and I was going in and doing trips to do certain things. Okay. Like a normal climber would and opposed to someone who's living in their van there. Okay. So that was kind of like limiting about everything that I did. So there's like a huge swath of classic Yosemite free climbs, you know, all the way down to Royal Arches that I have not done mm. because I would generally go show up you for know, a few days. Literally, my haul bag was packed before I left and mm. get there, hike it up, fix some pitches and, and leave the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I did uh, I did like Astro Man. I did a lot of the classics, Astro Man and Rostrum and stuff like that, but not, you know, I didn't dip too deep. Still, yeah. still haven't. Yeah. Yeah. So. Tell me about Lost in America. Okay. That would have happened in this time. And this okay. is, yeah, this was like three years or so. And I was really banging out El Cap roots. Yeah. And, um, Aid roots. Yeah. And I was kind of that, there's a story before that and I'll get to Lost in America, but I was in the Fisher Towers. I think I'd done A4 in the Fishers. I don't, had I, I might've repeated World's End by then, which is A5, if it exists. Um, <laughs> I remember sitting around a fire with a guy named Rob Slater, who a lot of people remember that name. He was a like wild man, rock climber, A climber and, and, um, died on K2 actually. But, uh, he was there and I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, go to Yosemite and like, you know, try to do a cap. And I think I want to solo the Zodiac, you know, and he like literally burst out laughing. <laughs> He's just like, you're not going to want to do the Zodiac. Like that's you, the stuff you've done here in the Fishers is that's going to be so boring. Like you need to do something different, you know? Oh, okay. I just was like. You know, it's Yosemite. It's like it, yeah, yeah, interesting. But it climbing in I the Fisher going the Towers. Other way with that. No, it's like super gnarly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but it's all I'd really ever done. Okay. So I mean, it's like mud and like right. You know, pounding barely sandstone. Yeah, and so I was like, okay, Rob, you know better. And so I got there, and um, I still was like, all right, I'm still gonna solo Zodiac just to see what's up. But it was too crowded, and so I soloed um this thing called Lost in America instead, or no, no, um, the Aquarian Wall. But he was right. Like, aid climbing on El Cap seemed pretty chill. Okay. <laughs> so, the rock's so good. Yeah. So I quickly, like, um, I had done Mescalito, actually, at that point, too. But um, Mescalito, yeah, the uh, by the Don Wall. But so I quickly upped the game into, um, like, Zenyatta Mandata. And that was, like, no big deal, I didn't think. And, um, you know, so I quickly jumped into, like, sort of A4 and A5 kind of climbing. Okay. Because of what I had learned in the Fishers. Okay. So, yeah, so I was just like, okay, and I was uh, on that path of like, well, if that was, if that was, if I was capable of doing that one, then I needed to do something harder. So I was approaching it, I guess, just like sport climbing in a way, like, okay, okay that route, eh, I was a little scared, but I could definitely climb harder. And at one point I was like, well, you know, if you're going to be a man, <laughs> you got to climb El Cap in winter, you know? Wow. And so that's We're the loss in America. Was that a history thing again? Where did that come from? Mm, just, you know. Just more badass. Yeah, you miserable. just have to do it. It's like, 
And, you know, and, and again, like I just, you know, it's like you just conceive of things and you're like, okay, that's what's going to happen now. Yeah. And it's like, it can be gnarly. And now it's like, you know, these guys are free climbing in the winter up there. So mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like a big deal if you get the right weather. Well, we all saw the Don Wall with the ice shards flying from the top of El yeah. Cap. So. Yeah. And they got like a historic, I guess not anymore, but up to that point, a historic dry spell for that too. Right. And any... You know, I talked to Tommy about it and he's like any minor storm and it would have all been done, Hmm. you know, because of that. So, yeah, so Lost America. So I went um, to the valley and it was really shitty. And at that point, I mean, this was probably, I probably climbed El Cap like six or seven times. Okay. Um, So like I'd climbed Zenyata Mandata, which is over there by Lost in America. So I was like, I'm going to do Lost in America. It's a four plus, I think at that point whatever that means. Um, but older route. So I was like, yeah, this should, should be good. It's steep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, okay, we won't, you know, the ice and stuff. Um, but it got super shitty while I was there. So I was waiting a couple of days. Um, I had ropes, a couple ropes fixed. And uh, first thing that happened was Warner Braun showed up to the, I was just sitting in the meadow alone. Like no one's around. It's kind of a little bit of snow on the ground. And what month is it? Mm, February. Okay. Yeah. So, again, don't quote me on that, but it, around then. So, Werner shows up and he's just like, hey, what are you going to do? And I'm like, uh, it's like, man, I know who this is. He's on the SAR. He's like the head SAR dude. He's like going to fucking talk me out of it or whatever. Like, Doesn't want to rescue you. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Like, who's this kid? Like, what is he doing? I'm like, well, he's going to do Lost America. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. And he's like, you know, and he tells me this whole story about how these guys got died on Zenyata Mandata, I think, because they were up there in winter and horsetail falls kept spraying them. Oh shit. And like one guy I went hypothermic and died. And no like way. so he tells me this whole story and he's like, Okay, well, good luck. And then he like instead of like talking me out of it, he just tells me this story and is just like, Okay, well, good time. And I'm like, okay, but it was cool because then I knew like Warner was around and probably mm. keeping an eye on me. Okay. And also, actually, there was a couple dudes up on Shortest Straw. Um, For listeners, I'll link to all these routes in the show notes. Yeah, it's all on the right side. I'll cap over by over by the Zodiac and stuff. And um, so there was a couple guys up there. Um, just yeah. So I left the ground. I had um, I always went heavy when I was soloing. Okay. Um, and that side of the wall is really hard to get down. You know, it's super steep. So mm. as soon as you're off and running, you you can do, but you have to aid downwards. Mm. At least, you know, swing your rope in and clip it in to get in. So retreat, you know, difficult. I definitely didn't want to be rescued. Um, that was a great fear of mine just for embarrassment reasons. And uh, so I was like, all right, I'll just bring, I'm going to go heavy. I got a lot of stuff. It's winter. You know, you don't drink much water. And off I went and it, you know, went well and then it stormed again. Mm. And so the top of the wall actually got like a couple feet of snow. Riding the storm out's no big deal, but then the it you know gets warm there, and then it starts melting. Yeah, and so I get to this A four like angling traverse, like the last kind of crux pitch. I'm probably like ten pitches up. There, it's not that long. You and know, you're solo, so yeah, I'm soloing. Yeah, and this huge waterfall is going right across like fifteen or twenty or thirty feet of the climb. Okay, right, and I'm like, okay, well, if I you know. I had like winter mountaineering gear. I had like, you know, North Face bibs and the whole thing. I'm like, okay, well, if I just get all this waterproof shit on and I go fast, 
I'll be fine. And so mm. I ate, it was like 25 feet of eating and it's a four. So it's like not easy. So I, I'm like cruising along and I'm like, get to the edge of the water and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go really fast. And it's like rurping, right? You may have to link to what a rurp is too, but it's a, bit, a tiny piton. Yeah. And hooking and shit. And so I'm like, I go like three moves into this waterfall and it's like, you know, 30 minutes later, I'm like, a, you know, a fifth of the way through and I'm like completely soaked to the bone. Oh my God. And so I aid back out and I aid back down to my ledge. And at this point I'm like, like, <laughs> you know, definitely on my way to hypothermia. Yeah. And I'm just like, I got a little scared. I'm like, Fuck. yeah, that's, that's real. Yeah, up there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I get in my, I do the, like the Knowles thing. You get, take all my clothes off, mm -hmm. get in my sleeping bag, you know, and, and rewarm. And then I spend the next day just like, okay, what am I going to do? And I knew that Tangerine Trip is, and actually I happened to be, I didn't know this for sure, but I was pretty sure I didn't have a topo for it. And I didn't, you know, no cell service, everybody, um, no cell phones. And I uh, knew I was pretty close to it because there's a place where it sort of hourglasses and gets mm. close to. So I knew it was like over there somewhere. Okay. And so I actually. What, what's Tangerine Trip for reference? It's like a, it's an old Charlie Porter route, A3, okay. old A3. Lots of rivet ladders, okay. like lots of bolts to clip. So you knew you could just cruise. Well, up I thought so, but that's another story. So <laughs> I figured out a, actually a traverse. Like okay. A3, I actually placed a bolt on it. Um, or a rivet rather. And I got over there and it, it was like maybe 60 feet traversing, uh, like angling traverse to get over to that route. Okay. Because I was like, I can't do this. I can't go that way on it. So I get over there. I, I like to say that I put a new route on El Cap. It's like 60 feet of, uh, 60 feet of new climbing in, mm. in 2000 feet or whatever. <laughs> um, it's called lost in my pants, but Anyway, I get over there and then I start going up that, but everything's soaked. And anybody's done Tangerine Trip, all the rivets have been replaced. Okay. But in those days, there was these things called dowels, which were, they would drill a hole and then they'd take a dowel of aluminum and pound it into the hole. And once it bottomed out, they'd continue pounding it until the top of it mushroomed a little bit. Okay. And then you you would bring these removable hangers. <laughs> Yeah. And you'd hang it on that. And the virtue of it being a little bit mushroomed, it wouldn't come off. Oh, my gosh. But also, there was a <laughs> lot of bolts that were broken or bent. And so, actually, the these rivet ladders at that time were like the most scary thing I've ever done. Wow. Because they were drilled, so I'd have to high step. Okay. And I took like – and I hardly ever fell soloing aid. It was kind of like against my, my creed. Mm -hmm. I took like three falls – just popping shit off of these stupid rivets because oh, they were wet. And I was using these <laughs> these wire rivet hangers, and then I realized, and this is getting into the weeds of aid climbing, but I realized that tie-off webbing, this really thin webbing that you use to tie off pins, would actually work better because it was wet and it kind of had some mm. friction to it. Okay. But they were totally terrifying. Dude. And then I, I kept going, and the top was wet. And then the final day, I stopped on this ledge really close to the top. And it got really cold that night and everything was wet. And so I woke up in the morning and everything was frozen. And my ropes, which I had sort of, it was, there was a tree on the ledge. I'd sort of draped the ropes over it. Like you could pick them up as one big frozen mass. <laughs> so I woke up and the weather was good, but I wasn't going anywhere. And so I like, and I was in this corner and the sun was coming over me. And I, I actually like, 
hoisted my ropes up so they would I couldn't sit in the sun, but I could put them in the sun to, okay. to melt them. And then got to the top. It was like super close to the top on the ninth day. I was up there for nine days. Oh my gosh. And uh how many days had you planned on? Um I I had like stuff for like seven probably, but okay. Way too much water because I wasn't, it was too cold to be drinking water. Okay. I could have gotten water off the wall too. It was running everywhere. <laughs> so I got to the top and then it was winter time. And even though it was illegal at the time, I threw, I threw my bag off. The mm. guys before me had done that. It actually had flown past me while I was like on my second day because there was those other guys. And um, I threw the bag off and then went down, but there was so much snow on the east ledges that it was this like complete epic like wading through snow because the snow sits on top of the manzanitas and creates these like, you know, airspace. Okay. And so like, I was like, you know, you'd be on top of the snow, then you'd fall through into the manzanitas and stuff. And I finally got down (laughs) the east ledges and my girlfriend was waiting for me, uh, this woman, Rebecca. And I used to have this really strict rule about soloing walls. Okay. That you had to do them solo from your car to your car (laughs) like you're not soloing if people are helping you carry stuff down okay but i got to the base east ledges and you know i was pretty strung out at that point and she was there and so i like i broke the rule (laughs) and let her help me carry my stuff from the bottom of east ledges back down to the road so invalid solo ascent (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny that's so arbitrary anyway but that's like you know i the funny thing is I remember being sort of scared when I was like shivering, but I just like, I don't have recollection and maybe I just got rid of it of like ever being that like worried hmm. on any of those routes. Hmm. Like I just, I was like in my twenties and I just like had this faith that I would be able to get up the wall to the top. Huh. I mean, moments of fear and moments of being scared doing moves. Sure. But in terms of that feeling of like, oh my God, am I going to make it or am I going to have to go down or anything? I was just like, no, I'll just keep, as long as I got enough food and I'm fine. And I usually would go heavy. So I'd like, you know, I'll just sit here for, oh, it's snowing. Yeah. I'll just sit here and wait it out and see what happens, you know? So it's kind of, you know, it's that's not unique in any way. It's just like, it says a lot about like the mentality of doing these things. You just have to have this like faith that it's going to, going to go down. You can't doubt yourself, you know, spend your nights awake, like worried. Hmm. I think you could, you know, you can be successful with that attitude, but not for long. It's just too stressful. Yeah. You know? (laughs) And I think that's like, when you look out at these guys that just like bang it away for, for, you know, I think like Steve Swenson, who's this incredible mountaineer, who's been doing it forever. Now he does big mountains, but I think he's got the same thing of just like I'll just you know this is just going to work, and I'm just going to work mm. until it till I'm on top. Mm-hmm. You know, so I actually talked to Chris Wright about their ascent of Linksar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did that with Steve Swenson. Oh right, right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People are more interested in Steve; they can look into that. I, I would love to ask you. I feel like we owe our listeners some context because most climbers these days don't know much about aid climbing at all. I know I didn't until mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. started googling it and, and learning more, educating myself. I'd love to talk to you about the aid rant. Okay, this is a, a video that you that someone made of you in 2007. At this point, it's had over 120,000 views. I just looked at it again this morning. Right. Yeah. It's funny, huh? It's it's hilarious. 
And uh, you ended up writing an add-on piece for it. And I have a quick, basically your summation of, of that piece was that anybody can aid climb. It's never as hard as people claim. And it's self-aggrandizing reputation is mostly bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love it if you could break down... I was a lot surlier like 15 or 20 years ago. <laughs> Literally, I was. It, yeah, it was fun to read that. I'd love it if you could break down just in broad strokes what the aid scale is, the A0 through, through A5. And then I have a note here that just says A5 corpse. Right. That's the line that everyone quotes back at me from the aid rant. Here's the corpse. We have a confirmed A5. Here's the course. So the basic idea is that there's A0 through 5. And even sport climbers are, are aware of A0 because it gets thrown around every once in a while. Mm. And that's literally just that you had to stop and pull on something, mm -hmm. whether it's a bolt, you know, pull up the rope, whatever. You just had to pull yourself past a move. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts. No risk. Yeah. No, no risk. No, none yeah. at all. I mean, other than the normal risk of screwing something up. And then it goes up from there. And, and I don't, I mean, I don't know what people talk about now, but back then it was like, A1 is, you know, you have to do this repeatedly and maybe place your own gear, but you're, you know, throwing bomber cams in and hanging on them and pulling on them. So um, A1ing up, you know, people on the nose or whatever, speed climbing or A1 kind of climbing. A2 um, involved, you know, Difficult placements. Okay. Like having to work at them, not just like plug and go. A3, you get into what they call body weight placements, which is that the placement, if you're ginger upon it, it'll hold your 100 and, you know, 50, 200 pound frame, whoever you are. A little more than that, probably, but it won't hold a fall. It won't hold the shock of a fall. Mm. So now you're getting into placements that if you fall on them, they're going to rip out. But A3 was a one or two in a row with a super safe fall. Okay. You know, so you're just like, you maybe put in a couple small pins, but you have a cam down there and then you put another cam in. And then the rest of it just goes up from there where A3 plus is, you know, maybe more of those in a row. But then A4 is when you start to have a opinion about the fall being dangerous. So hitting a ledge, bouncing off of something, you know, where... This is all going to rip, but I'm going to hit that ledge. Mm. But it's not, you know, going to kill me. Okay. But see, this is all speculation. Right. You know, the hooker book pitch on the on the Sea of Dreams, which is a famous hard aid route, it's hooking kind of sideways above a ledge. Okay. And so the hooks aren't going to stay there for protection. So you get a ways out, and then if one of them blows, you're going to smoke the ledge. Okay. And then A5 is the theoretical where it's a death fall. And you're gonna t you're gonna rip or you're gonna rip so much that you're gonna like take this monstrous fall where anything could happen. Mm -hmm. You know, like ripping the entire pitch was always the theoretical version. And then some people have always have played with a six, but I don't think it was really common. And that is that you will rip everything and the belayer off. Oh, so your your ank your belay anchor isn't great. Okay. So, um, which in the history of aid climbing, I don't believe has ever happened. <laughs> gotcha. Um, gotcha. And so, yeah, so that's that's roughly what A0 through A5 mean. <laughs> okay. Okay. And you can see how it's like speculation. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can fall 20 feet and die. Sure. If you hit it wrong or whatever. And your example from that video is that for an A5 to really be confirmed, you'd have to have a group of climbers 
one of them would have to go up the pitch, fall and die. Right. And then you'd all see the corpse. Okay, we've got a confirmed day five. Confirmed day five. Who's, that was the joke. Who's next? Yeah. Because it's theoretical. Right. Because very few and, and, you know, I say this with the caveat of, like, I don't know the entire history of the world of climbing. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, the the idea that you, you rip the pitch because the, all your placements were body weight and then you, you die mm-hmm. is a super, super uncommon thing to have happen. People die aid climbing. Mm-hmm. People die climbing. But it's generally, and a lot of times, unfortunately, it's because they fucked up. Yeah. And they died on a two or a three because they were back cleaning and took too many pieces out or a rock came out and cut the rope. So, and I don't want to make light of people dying, climbing or dying, but this idea that you would rip the whole pitch and then be dead at the end of the rope because you hit something, it just doesn't happen that much or at all, as far as I can tell. So that's kind of where the aid rant came from. And I guess what it, one thing that we've kind of glossed over is that the actual act of the climbing isn't all that difficult. Technically or physically, or or what are your thoughts on that? Well, the technical part of it is it's just different from free climbing. The technical part of it is all engineering. Okay, and so learning how to use your pitons and use copperheads and all these different things that you know we could spend the rest of the day talking about what they are. But you know, again, these 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 things that are going to always be body weight placements. You know, a lot of times a cam is a body weight placement because you can't get it in there. You know, it's on two loads mm-hmm. or whatever. But you know, there's certain aid gear, a hook. You know, you're hooking on a little tiny edge, and as soon as you leave that edge, the hook comes with you. Mm-hmm. So every you know move you make, there's no protection. So, um, yeah. So so it's an engineering feat in a lot of ways. Um, and again, so much of that was parody and joking, even at the time. But the idea that like you know you have to be like a savelte, you know, fit person to a climb was is proven wrong because a lot of those old wall climber dudes were not like these physical specimens. Yeah, I think you, you know. joked that half the time they were half drunk or yes. whatever. Else. I mean, that was part of the lore. Yeah. Is how <laughs> fucked up you'd get to do your pitches, you know. Uh-huh. So, you know, so it, but you know, it's like the mental game of climbing is nothing is is a huge part of it. And, yeah. And so for me to dismiss that is silly because it's in a lot of ways aid climbing is all mental. Mm. And that's the appeal of it, mm. you know. And that was the appeal of it for me. Mm-hmm. It's all mental. You're mm-hmm. up there, you're hanging on hooks, you're just like out there and it's scary and you're just like i gotta stay in control mm-hmm. you know a lot of the stuff you use for free climbing especially track climbing and there's a huge mental aspect to sport climbing but it's different it's not so much fear control so yeah i mean it's so it's like it's silly to dismiss it sure it was silly in the aid rant to dismiss it sure because i did it forever you know and i'm proud of the climbs that i did okay so it was a ton of parody but man you know this was also early internet yeah and it i mean it pissed everybody off. <laughs> well, d- either that or they thought it was awesome. Okay. You know. <laughs> Polarizing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's just like there's so much of climbing that it has a mythology around it mm-hmm. that is so easily like you can poke holes in it mm-hmm. just like any mythology. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because at the same time, I also embrace the myth- The Norman cast embrace the mythology. Mm. You know, we embrace the image of climbing as this thing that's like super death defying and but, you know. And we all revel in the fact that the the common public thinks that we're these like incredible, you know, like courageous. But we're all just climbing a rifle. It's like going golfing. You know? It's like nothing's going to happen. I totally. mean, unless you screw up. But right. you could screw up on that road, you know, and whack a deer and 
be sure. dead too. So sure, yeah, yeah. So it's I, that that the Adrian is it's cool because it actually was a bit of a calling card when the Enormicast started. Okay, because it was out there and it already had like fifty thousand views. Okay, um, okay, which was a lot at the time. Sure, know? like <laughs> it's early still a internet. lot of people. Have seen it was video. really early YouTube. I remember uh, BJ, my friend BJ, put it on YouTube, and I was like, YouTube, oh, I've heard of that, you know. So. <laughs> Well, I wanted to bring it up because I actually got a listener question about the Adrant. Okay. Nathan wants to know what exactly you, – you just touched on A6 being you rip the pitch and the belay, so you not only die, mm -hmm. but your belayer mm -hmm. dies too. Mm -hmm. What exactly might constitute the mythical grade of A6 plus? <sighs> Is that – I've never heard of uh, – you know, <laughs> it sounds like something Jim Beyer probably came up with. Okay. Um. So yeah, A six plus is like you you rip the pitch and the belay, and then you you kill someone on the ground, like you land on them too. You know that that's probably it. I, it's I more guess. carnage. Yeah, there's just like you know your rope and your other your, like clean off like three other parties off the wall beneath you. That's how gnarly. Like it is. in Vertical Limit, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that was a actually the opening scene of Vertical Limit, A six plus, hundred percent. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Glad we solved that one. Mm -hmm. I love this next question from this is from Nathan too. What is the best way to train for hard aid in a gym? I don't think you're allowed to. <laughs> is, I mean, is he being serious or is he like he's probably he's trolling? Probably, probably joking. Okay, uh, definitely not bouldering. Probably not climbing at all. Mm -hmm. Probably, yeah. If they allow booze in your gym. <laughs> That's probably just sitting there talking shit at, you know, they, all gyms have a little lounge area. Sure. Yeah. Sitting in the lounge area, talking shit and drinking. If you can get Cobra, um, King Cobra or Old English uh, malt liquor, one of those two. Yeah. Just you and a buddy posted up like crushing Cobras all afternoon in the gym would be perfect training for wall climbing. Perfect. Perfect answer. So what caused you to move away from aid climbing? Um, in the video, you joke that you're ref you are reformed. You're I'm a reformed aid climber. Yeah. The truth of the situation is that um, I mentioned earlier in this conversation that I was almost treating it like sport climbing. Like this is too easy. This is I need this hard. Like, and and it was that thing of like you want to push yourself. Uh, yeah, and I'm still alive. Uh -huh. I mean, if you want to get down to the literalness of it, not that I was on a suicide thing, but if you're if you're advancing the eight the grades and that that's a big distinction that you know aside from my poo-pooing the um the grades i always say that eight climbing is a lot like kayaking and mm. that with difficulty it gets more dangerous mm -hmm. free climbing does not have to be like that right and in fact in some ways i always say like a 514 is safer than a 56 yeah there's bolts every four feet yeah and you feet. can fall and it's steep and you're gonna fall into space sure you know five six you're gonna bounce off ledges for sure right so with aid climbing it, the difficulty makes it more dangerous it's all about i mean the whole grading system is about how dangerous it is mm -hmm. so pursuing it means you're pursuing your own demise in a theoretical way right and so and i realized that you're like oh i've I've lived to this point. It couldn't have been that hard. Yeah. I can do harder. I can do harder. Right. And it's like, okay, well, what if I can't? You know, and I, in my mind, it was that I would back off, mm. not that I would fall to my death. Okay. But at some point, I just had this notion of like, you know what? 
I'm good. Like this is, I've climbed, you know, the reticent wall. I did uh, the second ascent of that with some guys. Um, I soloed this thing called Gulfstream, which was modern A4 plus quite hard. Um, And then I was like, yeah, this is probably good. You know, and actually I did Gulfstream specifically as like, this is going to be my last big wall route for now, Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future. I ended up doing one more with, um, with an old friend who's passed away named Mike Borquet. Handsome Mike, Dirty Mike, um, depending on how you looked at him or what you called him. But um, <laughs> I did a wall with him after that, but it was because uh, he talked me into it. Okay. And it was it was on Leaning Tower, and it was not super, super hard. Um, so, yeah, I, I, like, made a conscious decision of, like, I'm good. Like, this is this is a pursuit that's not getting me anywhere. Yeah. You know, and I'd, I it was part of, like, I had formed that opinion, you know, about the whole culture behind it Mm -hmm. is i wasn't that into it and also you know i've said this on the show a lot and i don't want to harp on it too much but the culture climbing culture in yosemite wasn't that cool then Hmm. it was a lot of sort of backstabbing and like you know one up and shit yeah and 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 i was never part of the scene because again i would come in and out i mean i was there enough and i knew a lot of these guys and stuff and had guarded the respect of some of the like hardcore locals um, like Steve Gerberding and stuff, but there was other people that it's just I'd go into the Yosemite and I'd leave and I'd just be like these people I'm, I'm you know like who did this and who you know just smack talking um, mm. and so I was kind of over Yosemite as well. Okay, so those are the two things. But it was okay. like yeah, a conscious decision about wanting to live. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever do it anymore? Um, not like uh, let's see when was the last time I got the Aiders out for real um i aided uh, a route in the black as a first ascent to um as a way to get it set up to free climb okay was i think like three or four years ago no five or so okay but it was a you know it was like not super heinous aid climbing okay so yeah it's more of like this thing a tool i mean you know i have aided pitches to be able to mini traction um Okay. Rack climbs. And yeah, stuff. yeah. So it's cool. I mean, you got that in your in your bag of tricks. That skill set. But to go out and do a wall, fuck, I can't remember the last time I did that. Okay. A a a, a climbing wall. Yeah. Are you gonna teach your son Miles how to aid climb? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna introduce Miles to climbing. Yeah. And then whatever he does with that is up to him. You know, to be to take the question more seriously, like, you know, I just don't believe in turning him into a climber by force if mm-hmm. you will so mm-hmm. if he starts climbing and then he wants to know how to climb of course i'll teach him mm-hmm. because if he he's gonna if he decides he's gonna do it he's gonna do it you know and so it's like it would be better if i like got him sorted out okay um so yeah but i would probably be more apt to like you know get dave alfred like pay him a thousand dollars to teach miles how to aid climbing Okay, and he would end up better than what I could teach him. So, because <laughs> so, it's changed. I mean, there has been advances. Sure, yeah, but hopefully he doesn't want to do that. Okay, It'd be better than kayaking though. Yeah, I'm terrified of him becoming a kayaker or something. But, <laughs> but what he wants to do, he'll do. You know, right on. Yeah, cool. When did the when and where did the free rider come into play? God, I, I still don't even know. It was like 2008. Okay, I think. Okay, this is quite a while later. Yeah, I had gone, yeah, I probably hadn't been to, I had been back to Yosemite, because I think I did that wall in 96. When did you move away from LA? 
um, at the end of the 90s. Okay. So right after that. Like to Carbondale? Um, no, I was in Gunnison. I went to college oh, to okay. get my teaching certificate. Oh, right on. Because I just had an English degree. Gotcha. So I went to Gunnison. Okay. So I was down there um, at the at Western State. Yeah, I mean, I don't... It might have been 14 years since I'd been to Yosemite. Maybe I'd been back. Maybe it was 2006. Anyway, it was right in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, I just got the notion that... Well, and this still remains the case, but especially then, like people who are trying to free climb El Cap, you either were like a really incredibly awesome, strong climber. Okay. You know, particularly like the Euros, mm -hmm. like 514 nothing, sure. you know, or you were a really good wall climber and like a mediocre free climber. Okay. And I actually, and those two kind of were having different, very levels of success. And I think I felt like, the wall climber who was an okay free climber, you know, had to climb the grade, mm -hmm. but not much beyond it. Had to actually better um, chant hmm. because I just kept hearing, you know, it's like these guys would go up there and just the hauling and the, you know, and this mm. was before people were just like banging it out in a day all the sure, time. Yeah. Shit. All that was kicking the shit out of them. Yeah. You know, logistical so crux. Yeah. So I thought like, oh, you know, I've got that in the bag. I'm okay. a good crack climber. You've been spending um, a ton of time in the creek, in the black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's And then I went on a road trip where I climbed for like a month and a half on the way there, kind of. Okay. Um, but the funny thing was, is that I was like, oh, crack climbing, crack climbing, crack. And then the fucking crux is a boulder problem. Like you really <laughs> should be bouldering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, so you yeah. did the boulder problem over the Teflon corner. Yeah, and, and um, the important thing, first of all, I went up there on a recon from the ground. Um, like a two or three day one. Cause I, I may have done the free blast before, but I don't remember, but I hadn't been above that. So I went up there and I did, uh, we went up and, and messed around on the boulder problem, but it was super hot. Mm -hmm. So we didn't do it. We weren't able to do it. Um, and then we came down and then the rest of it was on site mm. from the ground. Okay. And what is important is that I followed, I ended up following the boulder problem. Okay. Because we did it partner style. So yeah. I, we swapped pitches. Team free. Yeah, team free. So, Who were you with? Uh, this guy named Rob Van Arnhem from, from Crested Butte. Okay. Um, and so anyway, anyway, so that's like a big caveat. Is of, it easier to cent? top rope the boulder problem? I, the I mean, in a way, probably. Okay. You know, and we just, that day we just banged ourselves at it. Okay. And then he did it and then I did it. And then it was like, my tips were shredded and it was kind of time to move on. Yeah. Um, but there's another part of that as well, but um, philosophically. But the, the thing that like, I still make up for that is that I then proceeded to onsite the enduro corner oh sick yeah so it's like you know in my mind i'm like you know i'm proud of the ascent yeah but, you know there's all the levels of like caveats of like versus the the person with a jugger leading every pitch sure. which i did not do gotcha um, okay. but it's like i don't really care because it didn't garner me like any sort of like you know sponsorship or anything it's just <laughs> something that we did uh -huh. and and so just the other thing part of it is this guy named robin arms old climbing partner of mine from crested Beach. so he showed up we're gonna do the free rider he shows up and he's just like oh my god like you know i'm so out of shape and i'm really sorry but i've been he's a roofer he's like i just been working so hard but i'm totally psyched to go up there with you and we'll you know support you blah blah, blah. Mm -hmm. but you know but we'd always climb together as partners so it was still gonna be partner but then he proceeded to on-site all but two pitches of it holy shit yeah 
so he shit. fell on that a couple times and the then, boulder and then he fell he also fell on the 512 traverse okay and so but right <laughs> like i mean he it was what okay back up a second it wasn't a true onsite like in 1993 he freaking climbed it okay yeah but it's tiniest asterisk like ever 50 you know whatever 15 years later whatever yeah so i mean just like dude dude's right. a man he's how, a man how hard is the enduro corner uh, I think they call it 12C, maybe. Okay. 12 plus, somewhere in there. Sick. Yeah, yeah. So it was a fun ascent. Yeah. You know? Was it a big deal for you? You know, I, I'm not like a big deal guy. <laughs> Take after Honnold. You know, it's, I mean, I, 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 I'm definitely proud of it. Yeah. It, you know, with the asterisks and whatever. And, uh, you know, but it was like, yeah, I was stoked. Yeah. You know? um, but then you, it's like I was, um, you know, came home and you went on to the next thing yeah you know because it's not like this was also you know the internet was around but no instagram or nothing you didn't you, there's no way to like mm. inform the world mm -hmm. you know so your friends knew and you were stoked and yeah so you got there you guys lowered in looked at the boulder problem no no we came from the ground and okay to look at the boulder problem did, what did you say you checked out beforehand just that okay we just this other oh, guy okay. um oh, okay uh uh tim deroni yeah tim deroni we just climbed from the ground over mm -hmm. like three days because we both wanted to check it out yeah and i wanted to climb the monster okay yeah so we did it ground up to there and then just came back down okay not with any intention of free climbing the whole thing or climbing the whole thing like okay we, yeah it was just a full recon mission but it's it's weird because it was like the idea of coming in from the top mm -hmm. wasn't like that well wasn't a thing well it was because the the hubers always did it oh, okay but i i feel like you know the hubers were still part of a generation where you didn't exactly like hide the fact that you did that but you didn't <laughs> it wasn't like a big part of the story right you didn't um, advertise it and for me and for rob we were very much in this like you go ground up mm -hmm. and we had actually tried the um Another time we tried the, before that, the Moonlight Buttress. Okay. And here's the funny thing is that like the idea of red pointing a pitch in the middle of a climb was just not like we went to free climb the Moonlight Buttress. Mm -hmm. And if you fell at, at all, at all, yeah, it was over. You didn't free climb it. Gotcha. You didn't pull the rope and, and I'm not like busting on that, but it just, that's just how it was. We just came from a world where like that, that hadn't the, occurred to us. That was the paradigm. So if you fall, it's like, well, you fuck, you're done. Yeah. And, and on the, on El Cap, <laughs> we definitely did that finally. Okay. This idea of like, we'll redo the pitch. Okay. You know? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Although it's, uh, another thing, team free is, is, um, cause there's another asterisk is that when, Rob fell on the traverse. He didn't repeat it. Oh, okay. So he actually technically didn't free climb the whole thing either. So technically gotcha. it wasn't even a team free. Okay. So anyway, there's a lot of asterisks. Everybody, <laughs> I just lost like 300 listeners. <laughs> Fuck that guy. How many but times has he mentioned the free there, There's no way to do that. Right. The traverse. I mean, it's, it would be really hard to go, to get both back people go there. back and do it. So right. and he didn't care. It wasn't important. You'd to have him. to like Don wall yeah, it. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, he, he screwed up and then he got back on and finished the pitch. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And it, and that was like day five. Like we weren't about to do some big rigmarole to try to, to clean up this like two feet of climbing that he didn't do. Gotcha. So, yeah. So you did one recon and then went ground up on mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty good. 
Thanks, man. Yeah, that's that's yeah. something I'd love to do someday. It just didn't occur to that's us to, to do anything else but try to go from the ground. Okay. Yeah. Cool. From there, so you it's it's really interesting. So you start out with traditional climbing. You get interested in aid through learning about the history of climbing. You're doing kind of both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then seems like you focus back in on free climbing more. And then it seems like the the next big shift or chapter for you started with learning to fly. Yeah. I'd love to ask you about that route. Yeah. Yeah. Uh learning to fly is a route out in Indian Creek that's five thirteen. Short um, overhanging finger crack. Steep and hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very sport climbing. And I put um I I put an anchor on it and then didn't do the first ascent because this cat named Didier Bertude, who was like a he's Swiss guy that was like a hot shot crack climber for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, he was gunning for the, the Cobra Crack. Cobra Crack, yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then he literally uh, bailed and joined a Christian commune yeah. in Switzerland. <laughs> and I actually, I just got an email from him like two months ago. No he, way. He's, he's climbing again. Okay. He's out of the commune. He's still, you know, a dedicated sort of Christian and part of the yeah. community, but he's climbing again. Fascinating. And he shot me an email to let me know. So, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. So he may be back. <laughs> But anyway, he ended up doing the first ascent. I just gave it, I mean, gave it to him, whatever. That sounds like super arrogant, but, uh, you know, said, yeah, you can do this climb if uh-huh. you want. Cause I don't think I can do it for a while. And you'd gone up it, put the bolts at the top. Yeah. And, and like top roped it, it. And like, you know, it was just like, Jesus, this thing's hard, you know? Mm. And I was a sport climber by then, but I'd only kind of dabbled in sport climbing. Okay. I had no like beef against it, but I wasn't a sport climber in this, in the approach. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd go climbing and I'd clip bolts, mm-hmm. but I hadn't yet like made the switch in my mind of how you sport climb, mm-hmm. you know, with projecting and all that and pyramids and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So seven years later, <laughs> when I actually did learning to fly, not too long ago, actually. 2012? Yeah, probably something like that. Cause yeah, it was five or six years ago. And so, or seven years ago, um, by that time, I had become a sport climber, a proper sport climber, mm-hmm. you know. I want to read a quote from you. Okay. This is from an article that you wrote for Evening Sense. Okay. The day I sent learning to fly. <laughs> this is you talking about your early attempts on learning to fly. You wrote, I was a trad climber. It didn't really matter whether the route was one pitch or 25. I always had eight pounds of cordelette and a menagerie of other flotsam hanging off my Carhartt clad ass. In Tradland, scary often substituted for hard, and I rarely tried roots more than once or twice. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thanks. <laughs> um, I loved reading that. Yeah. So you really had to kind of reinvent yourself as a climber for that one. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and and that, and that's also when I kind of had this philosophy, and still have it, that that Indian Creek's actually sport climbing. Okay. You know? And I say that partially to be a smart ass, but also because the approach for hard climbing in Indian Creek is the same as the approach for sport climbing. Mm. And I've always said that the bolts don't make the sport climbing Mm. because there's all bolted roots in places like Joshua Tree that are not sport climbing. (laughs) All you do is clip bolts, like three of them Mm -hmm. in like a hundred feet, but they're a bolted route. Mm -hmm. So the sport climbing to me is an approach. And the approach is, is that you, you work the route, you project it, you, you know, train for it by doing other routes that, you know, leads you to that grade, you know, it's one pitch climbing in the creek by and large, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's a day at the crag. If you're projecting a crack is the same as the day at the crag. If you're projecting a sport climb, you just have cams. Mm. 
and there the cams aren't confusing and they're solid i mean i know they there's stories of them pulling but usually you know which one might pull and a good well-placed like green camelot or purple camelot which is most of the hard climbing there is mm-hmm. is a bolt okay you know it's gonna catch you mm-hmm. so that's the thing is i started i looked at learning to fly and i was like okay this is how i need to do this hmm. and then the other thing and and um about that is that you know i had switched my brain and look i didn't have like this huge problem with projecting roots or trying them more than once i just it, it, my you know i would i just wanted to do other routes sure you know and it was, I'm sure, a cultural thing. Yeah. That was how climbing was. You just go climb that and you don't waste your time climbing it again. And yeah. oh, bummer, I didn't onsite it and I never get a chance to onsite it again. Except for at your local crag or whatever. I mean, repeating climbs. But like if mm-hmm. I was in Yosemite, you know, you fell off. You suck. You go do something else. You know, <laughs> like too bad for you. You weren't up to the challenge. So, um, yeah, so that that's the, the learning the flight thing is was, and I, I, I think I set it up like that in that article. Um and then there was the whole taping thing too, but that, but it was more the philosophy of like, I got to go and figure this thing out, move for move, get beta, mm. you know, because that's the other thing about on-siting is you just fucking throw yourself at the damn thing. Sure. You know, you'd maybe try to like figure out beta from the ground. And with a lot of the splitters there, there really isn't much beta. Right. Yeah. But again, like looking back at Didier, he did it like sport climb. Yeah. He was like ticking holds. And yeah. Like the first time he tried it, he didn't stuff. even try it. Huh. You know, he just was like, okay, this thing's too hard. I'm not going to onside it. I'll just go up there, clean it. Yeah. So, you know, he just suss it. Yeah. Suss it. Yeah. You know, with no like onside attempt. And I still, and, you know, because I have all these tratty tendencies, like I have a tendency to still at least try to onsite the thing the first time. Okay. Even well above my grade. Even okay. if I fucking hang on the second bolt. Yeah. I left the ground with like, man, there's a chance. Even a rifle? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sweet. Because why not? Cool. Yeah, why not? What if you pulled one out? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I could probably take a page out of that book. <laughs> what if you pulled one out, man? Especially You'd be like rifle. a fucking king on top of like, anyone have beta? Right. Anyone? So, yeah. please. So that was when you started sport climbing more in rifle? Yeah, I mean, I, it was more location. I came back. I, I got okay. a job. Um, I was in Gunnison, and then I got a job here teaching in 2000. Okay. And that's when, like, I kind of got over my aversion to rifle. Okay. <laughs> you know, because I'm like everybody, you know, it's like if you go in there as a trad climber or, like, even as, like, a moderate sport climber, it's a brutal place. Mm-hmm. And it kicks your ass and, you know, and it's hard, you know, it's hard for people even if they are good sport climbers and they climb elsewhere. Mm-hmm. There's a learning curve. I mean, you've probably felt that on this oh, trip. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and so it's like a lot of people, they get bummed and then they never come back, uh-huh. which is fine. Right. But here I am. Yeah. Know? And so um, moving into climbing uh, there a lot and getting a feel for it and then, you know, falling in love with it for the most part. Not every single time, but mm-hmm. but yeah. Are there any routes there that were most pivotal for you um kind of making this shift any that taught you the most or yeah you know one that i it's kind of funny that it's not it's can uh cantina boy okay which is is that 12d no 13b okay yeah the d is tammy the canteen boy oh that's so confusing yeah okay cool i just played yasna on that (laughs) yeah a few days ago and uh, that one was like uh, one I remember. First of all, it was I think probably my first sport climbing 13B. Okay. You know, in the creek they don't use 
letters. Sure. But I always think of like 13, no plus, no minus as being like BC. So okay. I'd done those before, but yeah. So I was like, and, and it was one where I just was like, I got into the red point problem of like training yourself to fall off. Mm. You know, when you try a move over and over and over again, and you fall off every single time, you start to train your body to let go of that hold. Hmm. Like, it you know, that pattern. you grab that hold and it, and your body says, oh yeah, this is where we let go. Because <laughs> this is what you've done 25 times in a row. You suck. <laughs> and so it's like, that was the first one where I really grappled with a lot of the mental train, not training, but mental problems. <laughs> that sounds funny too. Um, whatever, the, the the mental game of, of red pointing. Sure. Right? Always thinking like, well, you know, the mental game is part of trad climbing because you have to climb when you're scared. Mm. That's mental game. And mm -hmm. I had never really like put together what the mental game of sport climbing is. Mm. And that is a really challenging mental game yeah. of, again, trying something 25, 30, whatever times, and then finally, you know, overcoming that moment is a huge, wild mental game. Because of again, you training yourself to fall off, mm -hmm. you know. So that I just remember that one being, and I finally did it. And I I don't I don't like hardwire how many tries I did, but it was a shit ton. Okay, and it was the first time where I was just like Jesus Christ, and I'd leave the ground and just be like, Oh God, I got to climb up there again. And overcoming all that is really hard, mm -hmm. and um, so it taught me a lot about that. And I haven't climbed much harder actually ever. Okay. Because I'm still a trad guy, like, really. Yeah. So when I get into the teens on tries, I get kind of bored. I was going to ask, have, yeah. you, have you engaged in that process more since then? Yeah, okay. by accident, though. Okay. <laughs> like, where I'm into the teens, and then I'm into the 20s, and I'm Jesus, just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know. The, the other problem is, logistically, at this point in my life, having a long-term project like that is difficult. Mm-hmm. And also, like, bad for my relationship and stuff. Okay. Because then I'm trying to talk Steph into going to rifle because I got to get on my project. Right. And it's like... She's not into it? She likes rifle, but not every fucking weekend. Okay. You know? Yeah. And so it's like... And then you become that conniving person that's mm. like... Yeah, I think we should go to rifle, you know, like, and she's like, I know why you want to go to rifle. It's like, yeah. And then you have to go to the same wall and you have to warm up the same way. And uh -huh, like, uh -huh. You know, so... So I don't, it's, it's kind of like, I'm a little scared of that process right now okay. with my life because it also very quickly can become multi-season because I just can't get out there and climb enough and multi-season projects. Uh, I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, they're out there technically. Okay. There's shit I've tried a bunch that never yeah, did. Yeah. I gotcha. But I tend to like walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah. So Back to learning to fly. You mm -hmm. said it took you seven years. How much do you think you actually tried it in that time frame? I imagine it was pretty on off here and there. I would say honestly less than twenty tries. Sure, that's because kind of it, what I was guessing. Yeah, because and I think I explained that in there is when I would first try it, I would just shred myself. Okay, it's one of these cracks. It's so thin it goes just past my first knuckle, mm -hmm. not past my second. And I didn't think I could tape for it because mm. it would make my finger just that much bigger. Mm -hmm. And so I'd go up there and like try as hard as I could and I would rip the piece of flesh right behind your cuticle Ow. and flap it. So I would just try it once really or maybe twice if I could like get that flapper to stay down. Okay. And then you're not like coming back tomorrow. 
So it was this weird thing where if we happen to be at the wall, <laughs> happen to be interested, but I had it out of my mind. Uh-huh. And then when I went back to it, it actually was only a couple weekends. Okay. Um, was but the... I was in really good shape. Okay. From yeah. rifle, from sport climbing? From sport climbing, but I'd also done Ivory Tower on, oh, yeah. on uh, Castleton that season. Yeah. And that's sport climbing, but still um, some crack on it, but that's like face climbing. But still, I was just in, you know, and I was like, quote unquote, training for that okay. in the way that I would, which is climb a lot yeah climb a lot <laughs> okay so. that's a what four pitch route with the 13b crux right okay yeah did that with sam yeah Lightner. sam Lightner bolted it, it was okay. really his route and then um i ended up freeing it with uh, him okay yeah right on so one last thing with learning to fly what was the advice that you got from peewee well it was about taping and about um gluing your tape down super gluing the yeah tape. super gluing the tape which i think is elementary especially in sport climbing worlds it's funny yeah a lot of people are doing it now yeah. i've still never done it right yeah well you know it's not your tape doesn't like get rubbed off but yeah that was it um and then some pretty specific i'm looking at my hands right now <laughs> so it's podcast land but it's pretty specific ways to tape to make sure your fingers don't get bigger Okay. Because that's like the game is that you're with small finger cracks. If you put a layer of tape, your fingers are bigger. So ways to tape to keep the tape on, you know, was kind of important. He talked to me too about using like little pieces of rubber from like inner tubes that he does for like particular spots. But I didn't get into that for that route. Okay. Um, I didn't quite get how it worked. I'd have to practice with it some. But that was um, more for like rattly fingers, right? Yeah, and fingers a little bigger. And and again, it's it's to it's basically like the same way you would put like um, moleskin on like a hot spot for mm. for a blister. It's like anticipating the spots that are gonna tear. Okay. On your hand, okay. sometimes they'll tear even under the tape. Yeah. Because you sweat and stuff, so it's more of a prevent. It's it's to help you climb it. Don't get me wrong. Like you know, it's it's definitely helping you climb it. It's an aid, if you will. Um, but part of it is just preventing. And with this, it was preventing the skin getting destroyed so you, I could try it more than once. Sure. And so I was able to try it three times in a session, which I'd never done before. Gotcha. Plus there was often months, even seasons between trying it. <laughs> and so it's like, I never collected any beta. Okay. And so the fact that I think I, I want to say when I did it, I went one weekend and then a couple weeks later I went and did it. Okay. And the one weekend was the Didier style of like, I don't even need to try this thing mm. for Just real. I'm going to go up there Decide where I'm going to put my gear, decide where my jams go, decide how my taping is going to work specifically, and then I'll come back. Yeah. Um, so that, again, sport climbing in my mind, even though it was a crack. Okay. Like getting it sussed. Gotcha. Do you have a most memorable first ascent? Um, gosh, that's that, that's recently pretty good. A, th- a whole chapter we skipped Yeah. Uh, is Canada the Canadian Rockies. Okay. And so when I was teaching and I had summers off, I would go five summers in a row. I'd go climb in the Banff, Banff Calgary area okay. and the Ghost River mostly, but also all over the Bow Valley, which is where Yamnuska is and stuff like that. And sport climbing too. And that's a big, big root place. But um, in the Ghost River is also like single pitch to like six pitch roots. And, but not a lot of rock climbing there. So Pretty quickly, I started putting roots up there mm. um, under the tutelage of this guy named Andy Jenneru, who, if you're a Canadian Rockies climber, you've 100% clipped some of his bolts. He's super prolific. Okay. First ascensionist. So he kind of taught me how to uh, bolt on lead with a power drill was like the big 
Um, okay. The big revelation of climbing and oftentimes free climbing and bolting with a power drill um, up to like 510. <laughs> okay. And a big power drill. This was years ago. So, um, <laughs> But he taught me how to do that and he would do that. Like sometimes he would go and put up a five pitch root, ground up, bolting it, and you're done. Damn. Yeah. It's sick. So I changed that a bit and I started aid climbing a lot and hooking and stuff so i brought the aid climbing in because it's limestone and then uh and then i would solo a lot of them too because a lot of times when you're on that limestone you're cleaning you can't have a belayer below you mm. but going top down didn't always make sense either so um because you're knocking shit off and like, yeah and, and and just the problem i had with the top down is that you didn't always know if the route was going to go mm-hmm. and i didn't want as best as I could, I didn't want like a five. I did end up putting one up by accident, but a five twelve a o root where you have to like clip, pull on some bolts. Mm. So I wanted to know the route would go, and mm-hmm. even if like you left the ground, because there's a lot of roots there that were two pitches, and then you just come down in the mm-hmm. middle of a wall. So at least if you left the ground, you'd know. Okay, pitch three. I just ran into the worst rock in the universe. It's a two pitch route, and you wrap it. Mm-hmm. So you've created a route that's climbable. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the top down thing didn't always tell you that unless you fix the whole thing. But anyway, um, so there's a route there called Premonition, which is a pretty rad, like six pitch, five twelve up this huge overhanging cave. Oh, cool. And that was partially like the opener for my seasons there. It was the first route I did, big route I did. And so, um, and it's sick. Like it's super sick. Cool. It's four overhanging pitches and, um, we had some problems. The other problem with the with top down and fixing ropes is we had a rat chew a rope on that one. Oh, and so the Yikes. second to last rope, and my buddy jugged on it, um, and then I found it coming in from above. Oh man! Um, but they chewed it. You know, it was it, the core was mostly there still, yeah. but it was definitely like holy shit. So that was another problem with like the approach gotcha. um, of ground up fixed lines. All got a little more complicated when you had um, rats. <laughs> <laughs> and he it came down from the top like in the middle of the wall i don't think it was a bigger problem but anyway um yeah so that 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 was really memorable because it was also part of like three or four seasons up there putting mm. roots into the ghost river and um premonition you said yeah it was called premonition the okay it's called premonition so and then you know i another thing that i did that maybe a little lost history is we went to wadi rum in jordan yeah and put up a 10 pitch 13a there did you was there a film about that yeah yeah there okay. was a, a, is a long lost dvd about <laughs> about that trip that aaron black made okay a canadian photographer and videographer and this guy named gene gamalowski who came and and shot it okay and it was with uh ben firth and uh heidi Wirtz. okay went and ben firth uh, from canmore yeah so we put up this big uh 10 pitch route there and it turned out really cool, really cool route. And it was just a wild trip. We were there for five weeks, which was a long time. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and it's on the same wall. There's a very famous uh, petit, uh, Arnaud Petit route called Le Garçon, um, the war prince or whatever that means, something like that. Okay. And, uh, or warlord or something like that. Okay. In French. But uh, that's a really famous 12B and, and it's on the same wall. And okay. it's a really rad route. Our, um it got repeated by Alex. Honold repeated it. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody's ever done it again. Whoa. Okay. Because it's like, at that time, you just put stuff into this book at the guest house in Wadi Rum. <laughs> you know, it was like that old school of like binders. Yeah. And somebody said, I think uh, Jenny Fisher told me that those books are gone. Okay. Or at least 
the oldest ones are gone. So it may be lost to history at this point. Gotcha. But it's called Dar al Salam and um yeah, it's on Nasrani North, which is What does that name mean? Uh it's it's like the realm of peace. Okay. There's like the the is it the there's a country in Africa that's the capital. Is it Ethiopia? I don't know. I'll look remember. it up. But it's I'll it's a it's a notes. common phrase in, okay. in uh in Islam. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Cool. I want to switch gears a little bit. I have another listener question. And this is about being a dad. Okay. This is from Laurent. And he wants to know, how do you balance fatherhood and climbing? Any secret beta for a new father who'd like to keep improving at climbing while being present in his daughter's life? Embrace the gym. <laughs> and if you're like one of these outdoor climbers where the gym is like this really big secondary thing, like just deal with that. Hmm. Um, if you want to keep like fitness, I would highly recommend tr uh, a training program. Um, I talked about it on the NormaCast, uh, Chris Hampton at Power Company was training me this year. Yeah. And, uh, just purely for efficiency, it's gold hmm. when you can only go to the gym for an hour and a half or an hour even which is the kind of thing you're going to start negotiating in your life. <laughs> you don't want to go in there and wander around and, and, and fuck off. You want to have a program and it's really helpful to go in there and you're just like, okay, I got to warm up. That's 15 minutes, five minutes, warm down, you know, three bowler problems and take two minutes off. Like that's the kind of thing you get from a training program. Mm -hmm. And it's like gold. Hmm. Right. So those two things are really important. And then I don't know where Laurent lives, mm -hmm. but, if he's living somewhere with no climbing and you only are destination climbing, you're probably fucked <laughs> until your kids can stay home by themselves. Mm -hmm. So hopefully he lives somewhere with a local cliff that's satisfying mm. and then. Or can move. Or can move. Yeah. Um, it depends on, I understand, you know, climbing is not the prime mover for a lot of people's lives, especially once they have kids, but it's, you know, living where I live with rifle, and, For someone asking that question, yeah. though, it's worth considering. Yeah. You know, I think we think of ourselves as being locked in. Yeah. And if you have a local cliff that you're totally sick of, then you're going to have to change your attitude. <laughs> and you're going to have to climb stuff that you never would have climbed before. Or right on. Right so on. those things, and, and, you know, it's like, I don't boulder, but it's obviously a very, a much easier thing to do is to go out and get a bouldering session in mm. than, um, and, and the bouldering here is not that great either. So. Mm a bouldering might have to enter your life because it's a really easy thing to do with kids because mm. you're not engaged. You know, you can do a burn on your boulder in 20 seconds and then before your kid runs off and falls on a cactus <laughs> or whatever it happens to be. And I have friends who boulder and they go on these trips and it's just ideal. We hmm. just don't, we're not that into it. But um, I think that's another one that's a, a useful thing because mm -hmm. um, you're just not tied in and up on an anchor while your kid's floating down the river or whatever. Sure. You know, do so, you boulder in the gym? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. of course. Yeah. Our gym is only a bouldering gym. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. I've, I've tried to embrace it outdoors and it's not in my DNA to be, I like it. I go occasionally. I just, it's not going to be something where I'm like, okay, I got to do this V6 or whatever. Just, I don't know. I just don't have it in me. Yeah. Plus I'm older and I never trained power and it's, it's pretty hard to get a lot of power once you're my age. Just, that's just a fact. How old are you? 49. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. What about thoughts on like navigating this stuff with your partner? Like when you and I were talking about doing this, 
you're like, okay, Steph is trying to climb these days. That means I've got miles. And then I'm trying to climb these days, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm sure you guys try to climb together too when you can. So yeah. Any thoughts on how to navigate that? Yeah. I mean, you just have to also, there's a lot of things aside from climbing that you're now going to, going to do a lot more separately than you did together. Hmm. And you, yeah. So climbing is one of them. And you're just going to have to live with that. I mean, the other, it's everybody's situation is different. Are your parents there? Do the, you know, do you have grandparents that can, can grab the kid, that kind of thing. Um, but then the, then the, um, the, the local crag is important too in that because, you know, if, if Miles is in daycare, you know, we've got nine to four, mm. you know, so it's like, that's plenty of time to go climb here locally, sport climbing. Mm hmm you know, and have a nice time together if we want to take the time off to do that. Mm -hmm. So those things, but yeah, the divide and conquer is a big part of raising kids, but it's also a warning is that it is a big point of friction mm. to where you will, you know, kind of wake up to your sense, come to your senses one day and realize that you haven't done shit together <laughs> in a long time. And it's one of the many stresses that go with having kids that can, can, you know, end a relationship sure and so yeah you just like a date night that's a common you know thing like where you have to arrange you have to get a babysitter and it's like this huge pain it used to just like hey you want to go out to eat tonight yeah let's go mm -hmm. and that was the end of the conversation now it's like well who's can we get to babysit blah 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 all this sort of stuff every parent complains about it climbing is the same way hmm. you have to look ahead and make the time to climb together or you will go six months where you've not climbed with your partner hmm and one person will be mad about it. <laughs> and we know who that is in this family. It's not me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. We climb, we're supposed to climb together. Right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so just beware. Like, it's all it's all doable, but and it depends on your situation. I have parenting friends, Elliot, I don't know if he listens to this, that seem to be in the canyon more than kid people, like more than mm. some 25-year-olds that huh. don't have any kids. Okay. He's got two making it work i have no idea but you know every situation is different his his you know wife obviously picks up the slack and mm. is, is maybe feels that's a role that she's willing to do mm. with steph we're you know we 50 50 it or even i'm actually more of a caregiver mm -hmm. or sorry i'm more of a caretaker to to miles because she's got more of a nine to five job gotcha and she's paying the damn bills so yeah <laughs> gotta keep my keep my little nest here soft and fluffy for us <laughs> so. right, right on but yeah those are all considerations and just i think just check in man mm. and also check in with yourself about like am i have i gone into this pattern where i i'm ignoring my kid mm. and not ignoring them but like what's my ratio and am i caught in a cycle where i kind of am annoyed a little bit okay you know and and it's all a mix because you're annoyed because your partner's taking too much time. You know, they seem to be getting more free time. You know, you just have to check your head all the time about mm. that. And then, you know, make sure you're in your daughter's life. But don't, you know, don't like guilt yourself into doing that all the time. It's okay to leave your kid for a day and go climbing. Like, yeah. It's not going to like you know, jack their development. <laughs> and as a new parent, you're thinking about all that stuff. All sure. The time. Sure. Like, sure. Well, what, what, how, you know, I want him to be, you know, in the gifted classes and what do I have to do? Like, 
you know, get out of his face or her face is probably better than just hovering around them every damn day anyway. And also showing them as they get older, like, this is a, this is a great life. This is a fun life. And adventure is great, mm. you know. And going into the outdoors is fun. And daddy's going to go do it by himself today. <laughs> <laughs> How old is Miles? He's four and a half. Okay. He's a little, he's a little more like a three and a half year old though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's pretty little, kind of young for his age and gotcha. little for his age and stuff. So. Okay. Has he come out climbing yet? Uh, no, he swung. He, I mean, he's spent a ton of time in rifle. Okay. And just swung on the ropes mostly. Okay. Yeah. That's what. That's the other thing. They'll. That's what they'll want to do. Not climb. They don't give a <laughs> shit about your stupid climbing game. They want to swing on those ropes now. Yeah. yeah gotcha. So. Well, cool. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of good stuff there. I'm curious about this training you did with Odub, and I know you did a whole episode about it, so we don't need to get into the weeds too much. But is there anything from that that has really stuck with you, or another? Maybe pick either of these questions, whichever is more interesting. Anything that you wish you'd started doing earlier? Well, yeah. First of all, I'm off the wagon a little bit. I've fallen off the wagon oh, with the sure. training a little bit okay. um, at this moment. Um, it's been a busy fall for a lot of reasons. I know excuses are like assholes or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wish I had trained earlier mm. and and longer ago. Um, and maybe not even like way back, but you know, as someone who is 49, like the whole, my whole training thing, and this was in, in that show, but was, was a lot about decline mm. and staving off decline as much as like, oh, I have this goal that I want to get to this grade or whatever. I just know that I don't, I'm not as strong as I was. And I also know that the writing's on the wall. Mm. You know, you, you if you aren't careful, you're gonna it, you you get out of shape really fast mm. when you're older. You know. Okay. And so you just have to be careful if you want to keep climbing at a certain level. So that's all I was really interested in, and then also staving off injury. Mm. As far as like improving my power and actually like increasing my grades, I would have been better off ten years ago. Yeah. And I think turning 40, if you're in this mindset like I am, and this is a completely different reason to train than if you're like 21 or whatever, I think 40 is a time when like it's a really, would be a really, really good thing to think about no matter who you are. Mm. And getting someone who understands a little bit about training someone who's a little bit older, because you are going to be more prone to injury and stuff like that. And things in training itself can injure you. And that's like the worst kind of injury to get mm -hmm. is like you were training for your climb and you got injured and can't do your climb. Now. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So I think, but I think I still like had a lot of potential for gain and I actually climbed really well in my forties. Okay. Um, luckily I was also climbing a lot, but yeah, I think, I think like that, that's something that I learned. Um, but he just, yeah, it's been great. Like he just, you know, really taught me how to kind of do it right and not jack myself up. And I'm not so like crazy about it that I'm going to push myself too hard, but I mm -hmm. think I found a good balance. Okay. Well, not right now. I didn't, but if he's listening to this, he's just like, <laughs> eat another donut, just give up. <laughs> Is it as like heinous as you used to think it would be or is I mean, is it more fun than you expected? Absolutely. Okay. It's not as heinous. It's way more fun. Cool. And it's way, like, you can do a lot less than you think mm. and still see gains and still see... God, it took me forever to learn that that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because 
I just had to. Again, I yeah. have an hour. Yeah, yeah. You know, I bike furiously, bike to the gym, and I don't even get through the workout that he gave me. Yeah. But, I, but I'm still getting stronger. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, I think... are really powerful. Yeah. It's ironic, but... They really yeah. focus you. And, and again, like you probably were looking or are continue to look for something different. And I think like if I wanted to try to get stronger, I would have to work harder at it. Okay. You know, and there's like the um, Bill Ramsey, you know, his philosophy is more is more. Mm-hmm. Right. But that was one thing I kind of was like, you know what? And, and you read it all the time, but you don't believe it. it's like, yeah, two hangboard sessions a week are going to give you noticeable improvements, mm-hmm. especially, you know, maybe not if you already climb, you know, whatever, 514, but sure. if you're climbing 511, then two hangboard sessions a week is definitely going to show improvement. Sure. Yeah. And so that it's true. Yeah. You don't believe it until it happens, you know, <laughs> but it's totally true. So those were kind of things that were really cool about it. And it, it's super fun. And one of the reasons I didn't like the bouldering gym in particular is because of that feeling of like, what am I actually, I don't love this for itself. So what am I doing here? Like I wander around, do a few problems, kind of get pumped. Mm. I guess I trained, mm. you know? So I liked it for this structure that it gave me to, mm-hmm. you know, I liked the structure. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Is there anything you would change about your climbing story, your trajectory, if you could go back? No. Cool. No, I mean, I'm really like I had such I've had such a breadth of experience. Mm. I mean, mostly rock climbing. Um, I think I got to a level and still at a level and got to a level where, um, you know, I could. Well, Andrew Bishrat pointed this out to me that the one thing of, you know, we put all this into like, you got to climb harder. And, you know, and there's a there's a bit of a rejection of that sometimes of like, you know, why do we have to put us? The cool thing about, you know, climbing harder than you do now is it opens up more things to go climb, mm. right? You can go to a cliff in like Rifle, for example. If you climb 510, it is a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Because you've got two cliffs, really. And then there's smattering of other routes. And they're super greasy. Yeah. If you climb 512, you got roots at every single wall. Mm-hmm. And so... Th- Aside from the ego and everything else, it just opens terrain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he pointed out in the Dolomites, like he went on a trip to Dolomites and he looked up at a wall and like, that is so inspiring. I want to climb that wall. Mm-hmm. What are the routes? And it was all 512, but he climbed 512. Nice. So another person could look up and be, I want to climb that wall and you can't do it. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. And I think I've, I, you know, got to a place with both track climbing and with sport climbing where I, I, you know, I obviously can't climb everything, but it, I can go everywhere and, and, you know, there are iconic 512s. I mean, there's iconic 511s too, but like I can go there and do a lot of stuff. And then also I have the experience where I can, you know, I can go do a new route in Wadi Rum, which involved a lot of eight climbing, even though it was mm. a multi climb, you know, we did it ground up. So there's hooking and all that shit. Mm. I can go climb cracks. I can sort of climb off with, you know, <laughs> I'm not like, super into it so yeah and then all the travel i mean it's just so many great experiences i've been i haven't been to i haven't climbed in asia proper i think technically isn't the middle east and asia but i mean i've climbed a lot of places all over the world and yeah i don't i don't think so i kind of stepped away when i was uh you know teaching in a way i was still climbing but i came back to kind of the lifestyle Mm. yeah so no it's it's hard to think of like oh if i've only done this oh wait okay you know, 
there was a point where I was like dabbling with the idea of sponsorship. Okay. And the wall climbing age, right? And I was climbing with a lot with Kevin Thaw, um, who's a name that's I don't know, he's not like a well known climber and but he's he was a badass and was a North Face athlete, is a badass, was a North Faith athlete. And uh he was you know, I'd go on his trips and he'd have all his A five gear because that was when A five was owned by um the original A five was owned by North Face and like he'd be like, Kalush, you should you know he's British but he's kinda of talked like a surfer, but yeah, so like, think about getting sponsored, you know, I'd be like yeah, you know, he's like, well, come on to the trade show. So I went to the trade show with him. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, again, this like steeped in this old guard. And I was kind of like skeezy about it. Like, huh. I still was just kind of like, you know, I don't know. I can just buy my own gear. Like, yeah. It, but that was also when it, it didn't mean that much more than that. Yeah. You know, the greats were, were getting paid, but mostly it was like you'd get some Jeez. shoes and stuff. And I, because I was guiding, like, I got a lot of that anyway. Okay. And so just, but in, in, but in some ways, you know, the thing that it did open up even then is that you got to go on these big trips, hmm. you know, paid, paid trips. And so I kind of wish I would have pursued it harder and hmm. not had this weird, like mental aversion to it hmm. because I literally was like outside of the North Face booth and it's still this way, but then it was like, you couldn't go into the North Face booth, like trade show aside booths are open you just walk around in them but okay. there's you had to get an appointment oh wow and and you know kevin was like oh i'm gonna go in and you know you should come in with me and i and i was like the whole idea that i couldn't just go in there on my own volition <laughs> kind of like pissed me off and i was like nah forget it i'm out i'm gonna go get a beer yeah you know <laughs> who knows if i'd have walked through that door you know interesting yeah yeah and had at least a brief career it would have been kind of fun and and you know something that would just be another thing in the i was a sponsored climber yeah you know? so didn't do it though <laughs> what about uh what about what's left for you in climbing is there anything that you haven't done that you hope your 80 year old self gets to tell your grandkids about not, I don't think exactly that. There's some places I still want to go. Okay. Um, one of them actually is just Tagia, which is in in uh, Morocco. Like okay. Big, big bolted climbs, multi yeah. pitch bolted climbs. I had a trip there planned right before Steph got pregnant. Okay. And the funny thing is, is she got pregnant in July, and we were supposed to go in like September. And I was like, well, cool. You know, I'll just like this will be like my last trip. For, and and she was just like in that like early pregnancy like mania and she was like no you're no way you're leaving me here blah 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 and I was like you're only gonna be two months pregnant like what's it you won't even like people won't even know yet but anyway that did conversation didn't go that well so I didn't go to uh, Tagia so I'd like to go there um, I don't really have like a big you know goal I kind of got my ass beat on the Golden Gate. Mm. I didn't think I was going to free it. This was two years ago. But I thought I'd go out there and have a look and mm. be like, well, could somehow I train in Carbondale to do this? And like, no, this is a joke, dude. I don't, <laughs> for me, at my age and my experience, like I'd have to go live in the valley. Okay. Know, climb granite and climb on it and be up there. And so sort of a weird little pipe dream that I thought maybe like that would be a goal to free climb Golden Gate. It's so much harder than the free rider. Well, okay. Um, just logistically too. I mean, the last, I don't know if you saw Jordan fell 
on his one day on the last moves oh. of the last hard pitch because you have to do the five thirteens at the end. Okay. Yeah, so it's yeah. hard. But anyway, um, Emily Harrington's trying it today, right now. As right now, I'm sure she's probably done. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so it's like hard. Back to Laurent and his kid question. It's hard to have some sort of pipe dream goal that's realistic. And the other thing is that when I think about going somewhere to climb a hundred percent these days, it's like, I want to go climb with friends. Mm. And that's the more important thing. Mm. Like, you know, my buddy wants to go to the Verdon next year. And, um, I've been there a bunch of times. Love it. It's one of my favorite places to go. You know, I'd love to go back there. I've been there. I've, you know, and I'd, my friend Alan lives, lives there and see him, you know, so it's like, it's more important than like, oh, I want to climb Ama de Blom or I want to climb, you know, the the Golden Gate or anything like that. I mean, I had a great time in the Golden Gate because I was with a really good friend, you know, so, or go to Spain again, just because I want to see my friends that are there. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be my climbing life is just, you know, making sure that the family is important and not to, because I think if you have some goal and I've seen it and you get super your ego wrapped up in it. It's when Laurent's concerns become reality when you mm. are ignoring what you're supposed to be doing, mm. which is raising your kids and being a good, I'm not married, but a good partner. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So I, I sort of like, I don't think I have, I'll, I wouldn't mind cl- going to Patagonia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Have you been? No, okay. not, not, not like El Shaltan, Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Patagonia, the region, and to Cochamo, which is on the other side. Okay. Technically in Patagonia, but not what we think about as Patagonia. Gotcha. So, yeah, going and climbing like uh, Fitzroy or something would mm-hmm. be, you know, you can do that when you're old. <laughs> right on. You know. Cool. Yeah. So, there's a few things, but I'm not going to like obsess about them the okay. way you, way you kind of have to if it's like a really lofty goal. You can't just casually be like, I'm going to go and climb. <laughs> Like that, like the Golden Gate. I was way too casual. <laughs> it's like I freed like, I don't know, maybe 50% of it. And that was all 510. <laughs> so, no, I did better than that, but still. <laughs> I didn't free anything harder than like 12A, but, you know. What about the future of the a normal cast? So you've put out 207 episodes. As of today, you've yeah, got yeah, 207 today, yeah. episodes. Your first episode, December 2011. Mm-hmm. What's the future of the normal cast? Man, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I actually, this is not, I've never, it was actually, um, there was a sale offer um, that I had. Yeah. And where it was going to be owned by someone else and I was going to do it. I was going to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, and it got jacked up by the, by the, uh, the pandemic um and for me it was ideal because i i don't like the business and i'm not good at the business end of it Mm. and do i want to make tons of money off of it uh yes of course is it like in its dna not really but as a family man i can't justify the time if it's not at least some bit of money being pulled in it's just Mm. too much time Mm you know, it takes away from other things that I could be making money. And I have this obligation when I started it, I didn't really, you know, mm-hmm. and I never thought about it making money. Sure. Um, and it would make the whole reason to get rid of it is because it would make more money in another person's hands who was like good at selling things. Mm-hmm. And that was the idea. 
they were going to do all the advertising. It was going to be wrapped up with a, a magazine and stuff. I mean, I'll just say it was Big Stone Publishing because they don't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what are they going to do about it? So that that actually is maybe good that it didn't happen. But um, um, that this was Rock and Ice. Sorry. Bought by Climbing. Yeah, yeah. Rock and Ice was going to buy it. And it made sense because they've had trouble getting their podcast off the ground. Mm. And they have advertising cloud. It would just be bundled with other things. Mm. Um, so they were sure they were going to make more money off of it. So that was really cool. And it kind of like was definitely a heartbreaker because I was mm. like, man, that's cool. I can just do the podcast, do the interviews, do the creative part and fuck all that other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not good at it. Um, so anyone, anybody wants to buy it? So. <laughs> so I don't know. Some days I'm just like, oh, God, when am I going to stop this? And then it, then I have a really great interview and I have fun and, okay. and it's fun and it's cool. And, you know, the reason I'm like kind of hemming and hawing is because this time of year – because I'm always late, actually. I should have done this by now, but I never do. Is when, you know, I've got to start to put stuff in the row for next year. Mm. And it's, you know, it's a f weird year. Mm -hmm. And advertising dried up, but it shouldn't have. Because, oh, as far as sponsors. And yeah, because these companies are all doing stuff. incredible business right now. Right. And they're sort of pretending as though everything's weird. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. But anyway, so I've got to be negotiating and I hate it. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, uh, but for right now, you know, as long as there's like some people come to the table, it'll I'll bang out another year. You know? <laughs> um, and then I've got the the run out, which is the the other podcast with Andrew Bishrat has been helped me be more psyched about the Norma cast. Too, okay, cool. Because that's collaborative. For people that haven't heard that right. yet, what's the premise of that one? How's it different? It's a topic, kind of more of a topic show, and it's okay. the two of us. Mm -hmm. So instead of like having you know Will Gad on to talk about his whole life as a climber, which is what I did on the Enorma Cast, you know he's. I say that he didn't come on, but we we were trying to get him on because he he put out this new movie about climate change. Mm. So he would come on specifically to talk about that. Gotcha. And we don't go through his whole business and it's mm -hmm. like a short interview and it's sort of like a modern podcast style where, where we banter you know it's personality driven mm -hmm. where him and i talk a little bit we have an interview um our new format we actually uh ripped off of this uh podcast called the new abnormal okay um and so it's like yeah so it's it's different than the normal cast it's not a long form interview um and i I kind of imagine that as being part of the Norma cast originally, but then it fell into, you know, this, just this pattern of doing these long form interviews, mm. but I had stolen Mark Maron's. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. His format. So yeah. that's what he does. So that's what I do. Gotcha. So, but it was cool to have this collaborator. Yeah. And so podcasting with the Norma cast it, after this many years, it, it can be sort of drudgery a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, sitting there, but injecting that into it sort of like livened it all up. Cool. Bit. Okay. And that's got a Patreon, so that's trying to make money that way. So, and you and I have discussed some of the economics of podcasting. So, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. You know, totally. Do you have a episode from the normal cast that you would recommend for people that are checking it out for the first time? Uh well, the or, two. Or a couple? Yeah, the two that put it on the map, if you will, were um, were the Hayden Kennedy episodes about the compressor route. Okay. Uh, chopping the compressor route which is seems like ancient history now and plus plus Hayden's passed away. But those ones are like the groove was okay. found where you know we we're pretty irreverent, we were uh drinking a lot, but we also got super serious. Mm. You know because it was a you know that was a hard time for him cuz he got a lot of shit for that and like the internet turned on him in a lot of ways and stuff. So 
but it kind of like set the tone and it's they're still good episodes okay and still wild and then if you loved hayden they're you know they're him in a in a nutshell he's just like his full personality hmm. um personally this goes way back uh one of my favorites is the paul piana episode okay and that's in the 40s maybe yeah um and that one is like not great sound we recorded it in a bar upstairs uh, not in a bar like in the culture loft which is above the lander bar but it was like oh, lunchtime right and it was super loud like okay. the noise coming up but but the stories he told were just uh, incredible i and, think i've um, listened to that but i'm gonna go back and listen yeah again. well he just talks that about t- about todd dying okay not he wasn't there and they had they they weren't estranged but they he wasn't climbing at the time mm. and you know you could just like tell you know how how it affected him. So mm. it was really a powerful moment. So I really liked that one. And, and, uh, you know, that the Peter Croft one gets a lot of, a lot of props. And I think in a way it like set it apart because one of the things I think that's appealing about the enormous cast is that, um, and thanks for letting me advertise my podcast and your podcast, <laughs> by the way, is that I know a lot about climbing mm-hmm. and I walk into these situations I don't always know a lot about that person, but I know a lot about climbing. Mm-hmm. And I've been here a long time. And um, I just heard through the grapevine that Peter was like, wow, he really knew what he was talking about. Oh, cool. And he was kind of, I think, it was at an event. It was at Red Rock Rendezvous. Okay. So he thought it was just kind of this media thing that he was supposed to do. Kind sure. Of I got that vibe from him. Sure. But then a few minutes in. Like, He's like, oh, shit. Well, and he literally, like, you could see him sit up and get into it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so I got a lot of good stuff out of him, so... Yeah, I think those are good ones. Cool. You know? um, actually, the Katie Brown one this year was pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I've been and, meaning to check that out. And Katie was like out of climbing for a long time. And I, and she kind of like, that was like, you know, something that she wanted to do with me and, and uh, to kind of reintroduce herself in a little hmm. bit. And he's, she's working on a book. Okay. But who knows if that'll ever come out. Okay. Because <laughs> um, it's hard, hard for her to write about her past. It's, it's It was a difficult past. So, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. What about from the run out? Um, anything recent. Okay. Cause we kind of like, changed the style. Yeah. We changed the style. Yeah. Um, you know, Jonathan Segrist one that just went up. Okay. Um, not too long ago, but yeah, just get into the recent ones. Cause we, we changed it up like, like, uh, I don't know, like three months ago. Okay. And, um, a lot of them, the first ones were us sort of fiddling around. Okay. Not exactly knowing what we were up to. <laughs> it's funny cause it's the normal cast guy, but that doesn't know what he's up to, but, um, Yeah. I think it's gotten better. Cool. Yeah. Right on. I'll link to all those in the show notes. Cool. Sweet. Thanks. Um, what is something that you've been feeling especially grateful for lately? This town that I live in. Okay. Yeah. Carbondale, Carbondale Colorado. Right on. Yeah. I always joke that the, the Chamber of Commerce owes me money because <laughs> of the Norma cast and Carbondale. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I just know people, <laughs> all my climbing friends are like, yeah, I was in France. And then somebody asked me where I was from. And I said, Carbondale. And they're like, that's where the Norma cast is. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah, And like Bonfire, like people definitely know about Bonfire from that. So, and it's just a great town. And as far as like the, the lockdown and the pandemic, it's just it's been ideal. Mm. I mean, we have great outdoors all around us, you know, even in the dead of the lockdown, you you know, I can just ride my bike out the door and, and be out of town in a minute. And um, that was super amazing. And just, you know, listening to what was happening in New York City in, in March, you know, it was terrifying. Mm. And so it was just great to be here and great to be around uh, this little town. It's very liberal. I'm very liberal. When we're talking about voting, I won't mince words. I voted for Biden. I find Trump appalling. And uh, 
this town's very liberal, even though we're in a part of Colorado that gets right into into conservative land. The blueberry and the tomato soup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. On on the western slope. I mean, Colorado went blue, but um yeah, so I like it here a lot and and it's just I've lived here for 20 years and it's hard, it's expensive, but we've managed to carve it out and uh just some every day I'm just like this place is awesome. Hmm. I just love it here. So Right on. And then we got good climbing. And we got good winter climbing too, which yeah. has been nice. I so. just, yeah, thanks for all the recommendations. Yeah. I just finally went and checked out Main Elk and, yeah. on a cold day and had a great time. Yeah, it's yeah. all great, all winter. Cool. Yeah, so. yeah, fun to check it out. Well, Chris, this is uh, this has been so much fun. I've listened to, like I said, tons of a normal cast, and I know podcasting can be a labor of love. So I really appreciate right you doing the work over the years, and really fun to reverse roles and hear all your stories. So. Thanks so much. Thanks and it's been kind of epic. Um, I don't know how much you'll use, but uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, oh, what was I was going to say on oh, the, 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 uh, I know you're trying to wrap this up. The thing about the Enormacast and I think about what you're doing that you're going to find is that you have wrapped yourself in the community mm-hmm. and that's been the gift of the Enormacast. I've been that, blown you, away by that. Is that you get to go out and network in this community and you just find out like, that's why I've been climbing this whole time, hmm. you know, and it's just been this like gift. And then also the people you're going to interview, I mean, half of them or more than half of them. I like we're friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not like, you know, going to each other's weddings or anything, <laughs> but you see somebody at the cliff you interviewed and you're just like, Hey, and it, it's, so it's super cool. Mm-hmm. It's super cool. And, and I hope that you find that and that regardless of the success monetarily, which we've talked about or anything else, like that is going to be this gift you're already getting at, totally. at the rate you're, you're doing them. So yeah. it's super cool. Do you still have any people that you're just like dying to talk to? Do you, have, um, do you keep a list or anything? Yeah. I mean, I have sort of a mental list. Um, you know, I just got in touch with Arnaud Petit. Okay. And uh, he, he sort of, he was very nice about it, but claimed that his English isn't good enough, which <laughs> okay. I had heard he's he's got really good English, but that's fine. That's a fine thing. So he said he might come back around to it. Okay. Um, he's just got off a guiding gig and he said he was a little burned out too. So um, he's always been on the list. Um, you know, Sharma's on the list. Yeah. Um, and I actually have a path to him. I just have, haven't really pushed it too hard. Okay. Um, so he would be super cool. I've always talked, wanted to talk to Dave Graham who I could probably get as well. Um, and then in the women world, like I, I just love these old historical ones and, um, she sort of lost to climbing history in the States, but, uh, Catherine Desteville. Okay. I'd be super stoked to talk to her. Like she was a big part of the Lynn Hill era. Right. Um, they competed against each other and they were kind of like the two women climbers you sort of knew about. Mm. And as like a young man, I will admit this is like, you kind of were like either hot for Lynn Hill or you were hot for Catherine Desteville. <laughs> you wanted one poster or the other on your wall. And I was like the Catherine Desteville man, not Lynn. I love you. Don't, you know, take that the wrong way. Um, or the don't, you know, get mad that I was lusting after anyone, but it's the way it goes. But yeah, Catherine Desteville would be super cool. Right on. Not because I want to, you know, like tell her that, but she knew the French, you know, she climbed in these like super oh, yeah. skimpy outfits and stuff. It was rad. <laughs> so Catherine would be sweet. If anybody knows her, I think she speaks English well enough. Probably. Got you. That's a bit of a problem, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 I know people have wanted more international. The other guests. dude that I'm actually kind of creeping up on is, uh, Alain Robert. Okay. Know this cat? No, oh God. About- 
check him out on Instagram. He was the original, you know, as cliche as it is, he was Honnold before Honnold. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. He was a French free soul. Is. He climbs, he's kind of, he climbs buildings. Like, that's his shtick. Yeah. And he gets paid, like, lots of money by, like, sheiks and, you know, Abu Dhabi to climb their buildings and stuff. (laughs) But he climbed, like, 13, he free sold 13D. I want to, yeah, 13D. In the eighties, holy shit! Yeah, and he free solos. He free soloed in uh, the Verdun, which is like the Verdun is you know it's like airy, yeah, and small hold climbing. And there's uh, just look him up on uh, Instagram. Okay, yeah, he's a okay, he's well, an OG free soloer, right on, and kind of just wild man climber dude. Cool from like the Patrick Allinger era and stuff. Patrick's gone. I'd interview that guy too, but um, yeah, I'm creeping up on Alan. Okay, Alain, Alan, Alan. Okay, there, yeah. I'll be uh, looking forward to these See, that's episodes. the thing I like to do is find these dudes and reintroduce them. Mm. And again, I, I harp on this all the time. The 80s got like just disappeared into the memory hole. Yeah. So much lost. of the 80s. And that's, Alon was from the 80s. Okay. You know. Right on. Yeah. So reintroduce Alon to the world. Be sick. I hope you do. Yeah. I can't wait to listen. I don't to know it. how his English is. I, I've been asking around. Okay. Right on. I think that's all I got. We're sitting roasting in this camper. Yeah. You are. I'm not. I'm over here in the shade. So. What are the what are the plans for this thing that we're sitting in right now? Uh just finish it and it'll be my family camper for um the rest of my life, I hope. Awesome. Because it's it's forty eight years old right now and I rebuilt it completely. So it should last another forty eight years. You're showing me photos before we started this yeah. and it blew me away. And I will not last another forty eight <laughs> years. So hopefully this'll be my legacy piece. Mobile Studio two point oh. Yeah. Yeah, well you gotta have a trailer. There's there's nowhere to put a kid in an R V. Mm. And then a van having a third like seat mm. that's you know, safe with a seatbelt and shit fucks up the van build. Oh, okay. Because it's in the middle of where your kitchen and shit. Yeah. So it's hard to have a van where your kids can sit yeah. safely. Um. So gotcha. this is our 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 thing. We can tow this somewhere. Cool. The other nice thing about a trailer is you can leave it. Yeah. You know, place yeah. like Indian Creek, it's ideal because you can drive to the crag and leave your shit, and you don't have to pack up every morning. So that's the idea behind a trailer. Gotcha. What's in store for the rest of the day? Uh, I'm gonna paint some fascia on my house. <laughs> right on chris cool thanks so much thanks so much man appreciate it super fun talking yeah all right i'll catch you later not only my dreams. My belief is that all these dreams are, are yours as well. And the only distinction between me and you is that I can articulate them. And we have to articulate ourselves, otherwise we would be cows in the field. <laughs>